And we are on air for Fan for Racing, NASCAR, and Race Talk Review of Texas. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. Certainly appreciate being here and I'd like to give a shout-out to all the listeners tonight. Certainly a lot of action uh, over the racing weekend to cover and uh, certainly looking forward to it tonight. Yes, indeed. Uh, we will have plenty to talk about without much doubt here. Uh, just to kind of give an overview of tonight's show, uh, during this first half hour, you and I will get into uh, some news from the Arkham Menard series. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about the uh, season finale that's coming up for the Canon Pro Series West out at ISM Raceway this weekend in Phoenix. So, uh, that will be their final race of the season, uh, and we will definitely know who the champion will be. Uh, as of right now, all Derek Krause has to do is start the race, and he will be the champion. So really happy for him. Then uh, during our second half hour, uh, you and I will get into the Xfinity Series race that took place at Texas Motor Speedway. I do have some post-race audio that we will uh, play during that half hour. Uh, that will be from uh, Christopher Bell and his crew chief, Jason Ratcliffe. Uh, that segment is uh, just over about 12 minutes, uh, so I think we'll probably be able to play the entire segment uh, during the next half hour, starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll review the race, the Cup Series race, also at Texas Motor Speedway. And our post-race audio for that race uh, will include some audio from our crew chief Rodney Childers, uh, the crew chief for Kevin Harvick, the winning driver, and also team owner Tony Stewart. Uh, and, in fact, I may play some of Tony Stewart's comments <clears throat> excuse me, as a teaser for our Hot Topic segment uh, a little bit later in this half hour. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, at 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, you and I will discuss some of the hottest topics from the weekend of racing out at Texas Motor Speedway. And today was a big news day as well. Yeah, a couple couple minor things I think to talk about, and certainly have to wait till ten o'clock uh, to get into that. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing to be said about this time of year is, uh, you know, we tend to tend to see a lot of a lot of things happen, and so certainly looking forward to to getting into the hot topics later on. Okay, and uh, uh, definitely looking forward to uh, sharing the show with you, Andy as uh, we do our review during the first 90 minutes and then also our hot topics at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the Arkham Menard series. Uh, there's uh, always some great stories put up at uh, uh, and uh, they, they uh, really have some uh, great reviews from some of the drivers uh, that race during this season. Uh, there's some funny things up there uh, with regard to uh, uh, Corey Heim, who was racing this season, some uh, funny behind-the-scenes moments, and then also an article about the Comedic Crew Chief of the Year Award that went to Billy Venturini and Venturini Motorsports for 2019. Uh, they certainly deserve that this season. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's fun to give recognition where recognition is due, you know, as we approach the end of the season. Um, you know, talking about those two stories there. Uh, also, um, believe it or not, the 2020 season will be the 57th visit to Daytona International Speedway as we look ahead to 2020, so certainly can check that article out as well. Um, and then uh, Ty Majewski, who has uh, been an up-and-coming driver lately, um, also uh, helps Chad Bryant clinch the 2019 uh, General Tire Super Speedway Challenge. So, um, you know, it's certainly a lot of um, a lot of cool stories there. And also, um, happy 29th birthday to Michael Self as well. So, um, it is good to see these stories. It's good to to close out the year, um, you know, with some some good news and. Um, you know, certainly a lot to check out there for those fans of the ARCA series to go to that website. It's, um, you know, a good website with a lot of good information. Absolutely. And just because the season is over does not mean that the stories are not still coming out at ARCAracing.com. I was especially happy to see the happy birthday message uh, to Michael Self. And uh, I think he's uh, a pretty top-notch driver and uh, although I was happy for Christian Eckes, I was sad for Michael Self uh, that he was not able to win the championship this year. I know he worked really hard at that, and uh, I, I'm really glad that they gave him that recognition with a happy birthday uh, tribute. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Canon Pro Series because they have a huge event uh, taking place at ISM Raceway this weekend. Uh, and uh, another interesting story as well, uh, you know, earlier this se- season uh, I was able to spend some time with uh, Shigeki Hattori uh, at Iowa Speedway, and we wrote uh, a really cool article about him. But uh, the article that uh, Davey Siegel put up uh, at Home Tracks, NASCAR Home Tracks website, is pretty cool as well. It talks about Takuma Koga and uh, the miles that he puts in to race in the K&N Pro Series this season, what some of his goals are, and how he was introduced into racing. Uh, I love uh, his name. Takuma, Takuma Koga is a fun name to say. Uh, but his story is pretty fascinating. And so if you haven't checked that out, I would really recommend that as well. Not only fascinating, but the fact that he has literally crisscrossed the Pacific Ocean to chase his dream of racing is is pretty <laughs> spectacular. Most drivers don't have to do that. So for him to um, to put in that type of effort, you know, and, and to and put in the travel time, it's it's pretty impressive. And that's, you know, what it takes, I think, to – if you have the heart and soul to do it, that's what it takes to be a racer. You're going to, you're going to do what it takes to be successful. And certainly I think it's clear to me that, um, Takuma Koga, I believe that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. what he's done certainly to, um, to, to put in the effort to be successful. So that's pretty awesome. Um, incidentally, um, you know, kind of looking at um, the fact that Derek Krause simply needs to start this race to be the champion is is pretty impressive. Been a good year for him, up and coming driver that's had a lot of success in the K and N Pro Series West, and seemingly continuing to use that experience to get better and better as time goes on. Um, 
certainly um, it's fun to see an up-and-coming and successful driver reap the rewards of that in the form of the championship this year. So um, certainly um, excited for that team and their accomplishments in 2019. Yes, indeed. Uh, Derek Krause has been with uh, Bill McAnally Racing for the past three seasons, and uh, last year he watched uh, Todd Gilliland uh, take that championship, and the year before that it was Derek Thorne. And uh, when we had him on the show, uh, was that just last week? My goodness, it doesn't seem like it. But um, when we had him on the show here recently, we asked him about that, and he told us that he learned a lot uh, from racing with those guys that helped him this season as he kind of went after his own championship. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool as well uh, because uh, both of them were with different teams uh, in the Canon Pro Series. So uh, really happy for Derek Krause and, and the fact that he was able to, to come up with that championship this season. <clears throat> And I think really, um, really the class of the field, and he certainly had some competition along the way, no doubt about that, but really, um, you know, he and that team, you know, have won several races and been, I think, the the clear championship favorite throughout the year. So it's always rewarding and fun to see a team that um, has that level of success go out, execute, and and contend for that title. Uh, Well-earned and deserved. I think that it's fair to say Derek Krause was the car to beat throughout most of the season. So um, kudos to him and that team for executing and getting the job done. Well, Bill McAnally Racing in general was the team to beat this season. Uh, His team, uh, as is usually the case, uh, actually it was between the two two. Uh, teams. There was Bill McAnally Racing. The other team was Bob Brunkati Sunrise Ford Racing in the Canon Pro Series. And those guys really uh, were neck and neck throughout the season, as it was the case when um, Derek Krause and uh, when Derek Krause and uh, I'm sorry, not Derek Krause, Derek Thorne and uh, Ryan Partridge were racing a couple of years ago. It was the same scenario. Uh, Those two teams were pretty much head-to-head for the championship, and and that's pretty much what we saw this season as well. Uh, The the standings, uh, as you mentioned, it looks like Derek Krause, all he has to do is really start. The real contest uh, uh, is going to be for those next positions in the Canon Pro Series West and that's positions two through four, those points are extremely tight, and it is a battle between Sunrise Ford and uh, Bill McAnally Racing because you've got uh, Jagger Jones in second. He's 47 points back, but just uh, four points behind him is Haley Deegan. Jagger, of course, is with Sunrise Ford. Haley Deegan is with Bill McAnally Racing. Then in fourth place, you've got Trevor Huddleston, He's just one point behind Haley Deegan in fourth place. And a little bit further back, but still part of this picture, uh, Trevor is, again, from Sunrise Ford Racing. And then Brittany Zamora in fifth place is from Bill McAnally Racing. So that is pretty much a microcosm of what it has been this season between those uh, five drivers uh, and contending in this Canon Pro Series West. Oh, you know, it's fun to see a a tight points battle, even if not for the championship. Certainly second through fourth is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And and those Sunrise Fords have been really 
very competitive in recent memory. I mean, going back the last two to three seasons, those are cars that are always up front contending uh, for the wins on a mm-hmm. weekly basis. And, and you have to give a lot of credit to Haley Deegan. She's done, I think, such a good job progressing as a driver. Um, very aggressive, and uh, that aggressiveness, I think, is going to get her far into the sport. Um, you know, she's won a couple of races now in the K&N Pro Series West. Going to end the year top five in points, which is a bit important, and I think that may open some doors for her down the road. So, um, you know, it's fun to it's just fun to see these up and coming drivers battle it out, and uh, you know, and, and see them be successful and put themselves in position to potentially move up the ladder. Absolutely, and when you look at some of these stats for these uh, top four drivers. Uh, is pretty amazing. All four of them have amazing stats. Derek Krause, who raced in not only the 13 races in the Canon Pro Series rest, he also drove several races in the Canon Pro Series East, and at one time he was leading uh, the series point standings in both of those series. Uh, and he, in 13 events so far, he's gonna, they're going to have the 14th event uh, this weekend at ISM Raceway in uh, Phoenix. Uh, Derek Krauss has, uh, in 13 races, he has 12 top 10s, 10 top 5s, and 5 victories. His average start is at 3.9. His average finish, 4.1, uh, which is the reason why he's leading the series point standings. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I uh, <laughs> I don't think you can contend with those stats. Those are extremely good for sure, and and certainly um, you know um, deserving of a of a champion without a doubt. Okay, and then five more wins uh, came through. One win for Jager Jones, two wins for Haley Deegan, two wins for Trevor Huddleston in the top four there. Their average finishes range anywhere from 5.9 for Jager Jones, uh, 6.3 for Haley Deegan. Uh, Trevor Huddleston is at 6.4. So that's pretty tight there as well, and the reason why they're in such a tight points battle going into uh, ISM this weekend. And I think ISM Raceway, too, lends itself to, to be anyone's race. Uh, it's a very unique racetrack, different than, I believe, any other type of racetrack that they race. And, of course, the K&N Pro Series is predicated on short track, but ISM Raceway is unique, and I think that it can lend itself to some, some pretty wild racing this weekend across the board and certainly um you know that could that could make things wide open i I think your championship contenders will be the cars to beat without a doubt but uh, i think that we're certainly in store for a a really exciting race this weekend as uh as uh that very well said is what i want to get to because uh fans are certainly in for an exciting race at ISM Raceway for this Canon Pro Series West. Now, the Arizona Lottery 100 will take place Saturday, November the 9th. Uh, and if you're anywhere near that track, you want to get out there because this is going to be a good event. Uh, the time slot, uh, they've got it listed here as 4 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. Uh, of course, that is going to be uh, uh, three hours later on the East Coast, which would be 7.15 East Coast time. Now, if you want to watch the race live, you can do so at fanschoice.tv. They always have the live stream so that you can see the action as it happens. 
uh, that night. Now, also, NBC Sports Network on Thursday, November the 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time will have the delayed broadcast of that race uh, if you're not able to see it on fanschoice.tv. It is a one-mile paved oval, and uh, they did not race there last year, so we don't have a uh, defending winner or pole sitter for this particular race. So that's going to make it exciting as well. Uh, It is going to be good for this uh, series to be back at ISM Raceway, and uh, I certainly hope they're back there again for the 2020 season as well as part of the Arkham Menard Series West. Yeah, and it's a unique racetrack, too. As we've already alluded to, there's really nothing else on the circuit that's quite like it, which is why I think that it it could potentially lend itself to, you know, being wide open in terms of who gets up there. And, um, you know, like I'll I'll reiterate, I think Derek Krause and the championship contenders will be your cars to beat, but certainly a unique racetrack will lend itself to potentially somebody else getting up there and maybe getting a last win of the season to propel them with some momentum into the next up and coming season. So um, that's the, that's what I like about unique racetracks is you just never quite know how the action is going to go. So uh, certainly worth tuning in and and fans choice TV is a great resource to see a lot of these um, regional touring divisions. I hope we see more, more coverage of these divisions moving forward and, and certainly a great resource to watch this race live. Yes, indeed. Now, also, we mentioned uh, positions two through four in the battle that will be taking place there. Another battle will be for positions fifth and sixth because Brittany Zamora and Todd Souza are just one point difference uh, in those positions. And uh, I think there's going to be a battle there as well. Todd Souza has been uh, having some really good runs this season, as has Brittany Zamora. So uh, there's going to be a lot of races within the race, if you will, Uh, not just for the championship, but for uh, their best possible position to end their season uh, to look forward to uh, the 2020 season. Yeah, I mean, every point counts, every position counts, and certainly bragging rights going into the offseason, you know, and and any, any good run, finish, point standing, whatever the case may be, any, any time you can better yourself, and, and give your team something to look forward to and some momentum going into the upcoming season is, is very important. So, um, yeah, certainly a lot of battles there. You mentioned Todd Zuza in six. We've got Travis Milburn in seven. Tacoma Koga, who we've already mentioned, uh, there in eight, uh, and, which is remarkable given his effort, you know, and, and the travel that he goes through uh, to make racing happen. You've got uh, John Wood in ninth and Matt Levin in tenth. So, um, you know, it's a big deal to be top 10 in points no matter what the series is. And certainly, um, you know, you've got to try to race hard for every point in every position you can get. Yes, and as if it's not already exciting enough for that Arizona Lottery 100, uh, there's some other drivers that are could play spoiler this weekend. Uh, when you think about uh, ARCA Racing Series, Ty Gibbs will be in this race. Uh, Riley Earps, who's raced in the K&N Pro Series as well as the Xfinity Series and the K&N Pro Series uh, and Arkham Menard Series. Uh, he'll be competing. Uh, both of them were under the Levine Racing Banner this weekend. Drew Dollar will be racing with DGR Crosley. And then, of course, the 2019 K&N East champion, Sam Mayer, uh, will be racing with GMS Racing uh, this weekend as well. 
Then you've also got uh, Jeff Jefferson and Jerry Pitts bringing their largest uh, group of cards for the season. They'll have Taylor Canfield uh, in the number seven, Trenton Moriarty in the uh, number 55 for Jefferson Racing, and then Matt Levin will be in that number 27 for JP Racing. So uh, uh, there's some spoilers in that group, and uh, that's going to make it interesting. Sharon, this is really a stacked field here. Looking at some of the names, you've got Ty Majeski, um <laughs> with, with his crew chief, Paul Andrews, for Chad Bryant Racing. I mean, that's a contender yeah. for sure. Riley Herbst, I mean, he, this is a guy that's run truck and Xfinity races. Of course, your championship leader, Derek Krause. Zane Smith, who's run several Xfinity Series events for JR Motorsports this year. Um, veteran crew chief, Bruce Cook, who's got uh, extensive uh, NASCAR National Touring Series experience atop the pit box. Of course, you know, Haley Deegan, Sam Mayer, who is going to run some truck races for GMS Racing next year. Um, as you already mentioned, Ty Gibbs, um, who earned his first career win at New Hampshire in the Canham Pro Series East back in September. Uh, just a lot of, you know, pretty significant names. And there's 25 cars on this entry list, which is also fairly expensive yeah. as well. So uh, this is, this is, arguably one of the most stacked fields of the season and certainly a great way for, uh, and it's, it's worth mentioning that this is uh, technically the last uh, K&M Pro Series West race as it will all be under the ARCA Racing Series banner next year. So uh, what a way for this series to go out with a bang here at Phoenix this weekend. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is uh, one of the biggest events of the season. Uh, Chad Bryant Racing is also bringing an entry yet to be announced. I'm sure that will be announced soon uh, for that number 22 car. So, uh, yes, this is a stacked field, and uh, there are some heavy hitters in this field uh, that is going to make this race interesting, and uh, not to mention some of the local favorites that will be racing uh, this race as well. Uh, I, I can't wait to see how this race plays out. And hopefully we'll have the race winner on our show this coming Monday night uh, to celebrate. Uh, and uh, I know we've had Derek Krause on a lot this season because he's won five races this season. Uh, but we hope to have him back uh, the next time as the uh, champion for the Cannon Pro Series West. Yeah, certainly look forward to that show on uh, Monday. That's going to be fun to have him uh, hopefully on here in a week from now um, to celebrate a successful season. You know, it's been a great year for him, and certainly with all his wins and what he's been able to do, um, you know, very, very deserving of um, the uh, eventual champion of the k Pro Series West. Okay, and now uh, Thursday night, Jay and I will be back on the air uh, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll do the preview of the weekend of racing at ISM Raceway uh, because the uh, all three series will be racing at ISM Raceway along with this Canon Pro Series West finale. So it's going to be a big uh, preview show on Thursday night starting at 8.30. And then, of course, we'll have our hot topics at 10 p.m. as well. All right. Uh, with that, I want to do uh, just a little bit of a um, teaser, if you will. I've got some post-race audio here from uh, driver or team owner, I should say, Tony Stewart. Uh, I've got it all queued up, but I'm a little bit, just a tiny bit uh, ahead here 
and I couldn't quite get it right on the dot. But uh, a question was asked by Nate Ryan about some of the things that have been said by drivers about uh, intentional spins on the racetrack. And Tony Stewart had some interesting comments. So I'm going to play it here as a teaser for our hot topic discussion later on tonight during our 10 o'clock half hour. Uh, So let's go ahead and listen to that, Jay. Or, I'm sorry, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here goes. Felt that NASCAR should have penalized Bubba Wallace for causing an intentional caution, and there's been a couple of instances in recent weeks where intentional yellows have potentially not been called. Do you have any thoughts on that? As a driver, should NASCAR step in more in those situations? You know, honestly, I feel like NASCAR's backed in a corner on scenarios like this. I mean, I think there's so many things, just like you know, the rule of double yellow lines at, at Talladega and Daytona. I mean, there's so many ball and strike calls that they have that they're put in the position of having to make I think they got to find a way to make it simpler to where it is what it is I mean there Bubba wasn't working for any team any manufacturer I mean he was trying to take care of himself in that scenario so you know it could work for you one week it could work against you the next week it's uh it's just part of it I mean but to put NASCAR in that position where they have to act and react to every single thing that happens I wouldn't even want to be a NASCAR official if that's the way it had to be all the time. So Same thing happened last week, right? It's it's just, it gets, at what point do you sit there and say enough's enough? And it just, uh, at some point we've got to somewhat adopt the, the old time tradition of keep it simple, stupid. It's just got to be simplified to where they don't have, they shouldn't have to sit up there and babysit every single thing that everybody does all the time. There's enough rules and regulations that they have to do that need to be in place let alone the things that they shouldn't have to be put in those positions. So it's, uh, I mean, you can ask 10 different people. They're going to give you 10 different answers on it. I just feel bad that NASCAR has to be put in that position and that, you know, after a race like that, that that's what they got to be scrutinized for is because they're trying to do their job. So there, there's plenty of things that we give them a hard time for not doing. There's plenty of things that they do right, but there's plenty of things that they shouldn't have to be put in those positions, and I feel like that's one of those. Okay, Andy, uh, that should give us some food for thought uh, as we uh, think about our NASCAR Hot Topic segment that will take place at 10 o'clock tonight. Well, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we're going to talk about this because this is certainly something on my list to discuss later on tonight uh, at the 10 o'clock hour. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, it's been uh, it's been interesting. I think is, is the best word I can come up with between last week and this week. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking about that for sure. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think I, I think it was interesting to hear Tony's perspective on that as well. So, uh, again, we'll look forward to talking about that during the 10 o'clock half hour tonight, uh, just so everybody knows and can kind of look forward to that. And if you have – if you're listening tonight – and you have any comments with regard to this, uh, Andy and I would love to hear your feedback and your thoughts about what Tony said and about what Kyle Larson said. Uh, What's your perspective on this hot topic? And uh, you never know. We might mention you during our 10 o'clock half hour uh, if you uh, text us back either on Facebook or on Twitter and uh, let us know your thoughts. I'm at Band for Racing site on Twitter, and then, of course, our Facebook page is Band for Racing Blog and Radio. So, Andy, you want to give your tag? 
Yeah, on uh, Twitter for me, it's um, A Lasky, which is L A S K E Y one four. Feel free to send me a tweet and take a look at it, and we'll talk about it for sure. So, um, yeah, a lot to talk about. Certainly, um, I think we're all looking forward to hot topics later on. Today was a a fairly significant day, I think, in terms of uh, news coverage. So, um, you know, any questions, anything you want to talk about, we'll we'll talk about it for sure. So looking forward to it. Okay. And uh, just a shout out to uh, say thank you to uh, anybody who is listening tonight. Uh, and uh, we would like to hear from you. So uh, give us a tweet. Uh, give us a holler on Facebook. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing what it is you have to say. All right, uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour now, and that means it's time for us to get into uh, the review of the Xfinity Series race at Texas Motor Speedway. Coming up next. Yeah, the uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts 300 at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. Saturday night race, uh, certainly uh, I think, helped shape the playoff picture, Sharon. What do you think? I think we had a statement win, certainly, from the winner and uh, some struggles for some other drivers. Yes, indeed. Uh, Christopher Bell uh, came home with his eighth victory of the season, which is just amazing. Uh, Christopher Bell won the 15th annual O'Reilly Auto Parts 300, his 16th victory in 72 Xfinity Series race. That's just amazing. Uh, he was driving the number 20 uh, with Jason Ratcliffe at, on the top of the pit box this weekend for Joe Gibbs Racing. Again, it was his eighth victory and 20th top 10 finish in 2019. That is an amazing stat. It's also his first victory, his fourth top 10 finish in five races at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, The second place driver was Ross Chastain posting his first top 10 finish in 10 races at Texas Motor Speedway, Uh, but it is his fifth top 10 finish this season. Austin Sindrick, uh, the third-place driver, posted his third top-ten finish in four races at Texas. And John Hunter Nemechek was the highest-finishing rookie of this race. Uh, Just to give you uh, the rest of the top uh, drivers here, uh, that's the points report. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Uh, Five-driver was... um, Let's see, we we talked about Austin Sindrick. Am I looking at this right? Yes. Talking about the race results? Yeah, the race results. Uh, Brandon Jones was in fourth place. Uh, Fifth place was John Hunter Nemechek, the highest finishing rookie. Uh, The next five were Justin Algauer, Harrison Burton, Cole Custer, Jeb Burton, nice to see a couple of Burtons uh, in the top ten there, and Ryan Sieg uh, rounding out that top ten. Yeah, then um, looking at the playoff drivers outside of the top ten, Michael Annette in 11th, I think that, you know, he did he did what he needed to do. He survived. There was uh, several incidents over the course of the night that uh, certainly wreaked havoc on some of the playoff drivers that We'll get to here in just a moment. So, Michael Annette, solid job there in 11th. Um, Chase Briscoe back in 22nd. Um, 
an uncharacteristic night for this team. They earned six points in Stage 1 and five points in Stage 2, which could prove to be pivotal at ISM Raceway next weekend as he goes to try to become one of those Final Four drivers to compete for a championship at Homestead. But certainly a difficult night for that team. Um, they cut down a tire, um, which fortunately they were able to hang on to the car. The caution came out, and uh, they were able um, to stay on the lead lap and, and regain themselves in, in the front of the field. Uh, and then, unfortunately, uh, a brush with the wall off turn two caused uh, some damage and another tire that went down later in the race. They lost some laps and uh, never quite recovered from that. Unfortunate for them, uncharacteristic night in 22nd, puts them 18 points behind the cut line uh, in fifth going into ISM Raceway. And then you've got uh, Noah Gregson with JR Motorsports, a tough night for him, uh, DNF'd due to an accident in 30th. Um, so really those are the only two playoff drivers that had uh, difficulty, but at this point in the season, any bad race and any issues can certainly be magnified as one tries to go for that final four uh, spot in Homestead. And there's only one more race to get the job done at ISM Raceway next week, Sharon. So certainly, um, you know, a lot of these drivers are put in some difficult positions moving forward. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned it. Um, I'm sorry, I was distracted there momentarily. Did you mention Tyler Reddick and Noah Gregson as well? Oh, good, good catch. Actually, no, I, I did overlook Tyler Reddick, but he finished okay. one spot in front of uh, Noah Gregson there in 29th, um, and he he suffered an accident as well. In fact, it was um, uh, in reaction, I think, to to Briscoe scrubbing the wall off too. Um, Reddick was hit by another car that sent him into the wall, and he suffered a, a DNF. So um, the only thing about uh, Tyler Reddick, though, is, you know, thankfully for his own sake, he's got enough points where I think that if they if they have a solid race at next week at ISM Raceway, that should put them in a pretty good spot. But obviously a, a, an accident and a DNF at Texas does not help their cause by any means. No, you're right. He's he's got enough playoff points uh, that puts him in in fairly decent position. But the one who's in trouble is Noah Gregson. Uh, that 30th place finish did not help his situation, and uh, we'll get into the points here in a little bit. Uh, but he also was caught up in an accident uh, that put him back in that position. Now, it should also be noted that Christopher Bell had a really fantastic day. He won both Stage 1 and Stage 2, as well as the race. Uh, There were nine caution flags for 51 laps and nine lead changes among just four drivers, including Tyler Ruddick, Christopher Bell, uh, Austin Sindrick, and Ross Chastain were the four drivers that led at some point throughout the race. Uh, So this was a pretty competitive race. Uh, even though there were four, uh, four drivers uh, during those lead changes, uh, there was some exciting racing throughout the event uh, and throughout the track. So, uh, Andy, do you want to cover the uh, points reports here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christopher Bell is the leader um, right now with Cole Custer in second um, with 31 points back, you've got Tyler Reddick in third, 47 points back. Justin Allgaier is in fourth, 65 points back. That's, of course, your, your top four positions. And if the um, if the playoffs were to, to end right now going into Homestead, those four would be your final four. That 
that being said, you've got four drivers uh, below Justin Allgaier trying to uh, rain on their parade. You've got Chase Briscoe um, in fifth, as we have already alluded to. He's 18 points back in fifth. Michael Annette is um, only 10 points back of Briscoe in sixth. Austin Sindrick, uh, 31 points back in seventh. Noah Grayson um, with the biggest deficit uh, back there in eighth. And I think it's fair to say that uh, if you're in the category of Cindric and, and Gregson, it, it's a must-win scenario, Sherry. Would you agree? Because I think that's the unfortunate position yeah. they're in going to ISM. <laughs> yes, and Noah Gregson just might have a bit of a competitive advantage in this case, uh, as will Cole Custer and uh, maybe Tyler Reddick. And the reason I say that is because uh, the Canyon Pro Series used to race at ISM Raceway, so those guys have some experience at that track. And uh, I know there's a little bit of a difference between what they're racing in the Canyon Pro Series and what they're racing now in the Xfinity Series, uh, but th- you cannot discount that track experience and that knowledge of the track. Uh, even though there's been a little bit of a race configuration change there, uh, I think that their uh, time on those tracks, not only racing the Canon Pro Series, but other uh, late model events at uh, ISM Raceway could help them in this particular case. Any experience at a, at a track, certainly, I think you'll find has to help, um, even if it was in a different car. Um, being familiar with the racetrack and, and the lines and everything is important, especially when you consider that this is a, a fairly recent configuration change to this racetrack and also um, given that they flip-flop turns one and two with turns three and four everything's just in terms of hitting your marks and all that is you know it's different yeah I think it's a different sight picture for these drivers so any little experience that you've had in in recent years I think will help Um, you know and and I think that um, you know if you're if you're Noah Gregson you're going to lean on Justin Allgaier right I mean he's been very successful (laughs) at Phoenix uh over the years and, um, you know, certainly has, has, you know, found his way around that track. So uh, you're going to probably, in, in his case, lean on your teammate, try to learn what you can to be as competitive as you can. And, and I think you have to be aggressive if you're a, if you're a driver. And really, um, <clears throat> I, I think if you look at those top four drivers in the point standings, um, they're all going to run well, let's face it. They're all going to be top five or top mm-hmm. ten throughout the day. They just need a solid day. That really puts Briscoe, Annette, Cindric, and Gregson in, in a situation where they, they need to contend for the win. Um, you know, and there could be some attrition, certainly. But, um, you know, if you're those four teams, you got to go there and try to win the race, I think, and that'll be what they're all trying to do. And it could happen. I mean, th- there's no slouch in these eight contenders for this final four. They're all in competitive cars with good teams. Uh, they've all got a chance to go there and contend, and, and you just never know what can happen. And that's what we've already been talking about in the show tonight uh, with ISM Raceway. Is it, it's a unique racetrack. It lends itself to a, a potentially unpredictable race, and a, a, you could easily see one of those um, drivers in fifth through eighth come out of there with a win, which would throw a wrench into the whole point situation. So, um, And that's what makes it fun to watch. <laughs> Exactly. Throw into the equation that this is an elimination race, uh, not just for the Xfinity Series, but uh, we'll have the Truck Series there as well this weekend. Uh, Also an elimination race in the Cup Series with an elimination race. 
So when everything is said and done, somebody's feelings are going to be hurt, and uh, it's going to be uh, exciting action on the track because those bottom four are going to be desperate to go after that victory and the best points day they can have uh, to have uh, a good finish at ISM Raceway. Uh, Now, I do have some post-race audio here. Uh, It is about uh, 14 minutes, actually, just a little over 14. I think I said 12 minutes before. It says 14 minutes on here. Um, But uh, it it is from Christopher Bell and his crew chief, Jason Ratcliffe, and they have some interesting comments as it relates to uh, not just the race this weekend, uh, but their thoughts looking ahead. Uh, to ISM Raceway. So uh, let's hear what they have to say in this next segment. All right. As Christopher makes his way into the media center for our post-race press conference, um, just wanted to read a couple of stats that this is Christopher's eighth victory and 20th top 10 finish in 2019. And this is his first victory here at Texas Motor Speedway. All right, we've now been joined by our race winner, driver of the number 20 Ream Toyota, Christopher Bell. We'll take questions for Christopher. If you have one, please raise your hand. Yeah, Jason. Okay. Jason's on his way, too. I see. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know where he, or he's not far behind me. Yeah, probably signing autographs. Maybe. All right, we'll go ahead and start with Christopher. We'll, uh, Roll Jason in here in a minute. Bob, do you want to kick us off? Bob Pockers, Fox Sports. After going through what you went through last year at Phoenix, is this excitement or relief? Excitement. I can't wait. I can't wait to go to Phoenix. I love that racetrack, and now we get to go there and focus on one thing, and that's winning the race. Um, I don't don't know if Jason was thinking points tonight, but uh, we're definitely not going to have to think points next week. Right. It's a microphone. <laughs> Sweet. All right, Bob, did you have another question? Uh, I haven't yet. Um, I have been focusing pretty hard on data and just looking to see uh, – you know, how it works, and, um, yeah. All right. Jerry? Jerry Jordan, TigersTires.net. Uh, Bob, had a little bit of my question. You're, you're not locked in, obviously, uh, you, and you, you don't have to worry about anything. Look forward to uh, to Homestead and, and knowing that you're going in there and, and, and that you're going to be in that show battling for the championship. And then also – Loopy's closed like five minutes ago. Yeah, I saw that they opened a couple of them in Dallas, too, so I'm excited about that. I just learned that today. But uh, it's it's nice, and I think Jason can elaborate a little bit more on it, but uh, Homestead, the Homestead car has been kind of sitting there getting touched a little bit, but obviously we still have priorities in line uh, where now I'll let Jason answer this, but I, I believe probably Homestead becomes the number one focus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, getting through tonight, and again, I think somebody mentioned it as I was walking in, um, the mindset's going to be a lot different going into Phoenix. Um, and we will do some prep 
for Phoenix this week, but we will do more prep for Homestead, and we'll just go to Phoenix and have some fun. And we've we've been pretty good there. That car is ready; it's prepared to go on the truck, and so it's going to be a good week. Um, we'll get an extra week to prepare for Homestead, which feels good. All right, we'll continue with questions. We'll go to Dustin and then Wolfgang. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Jason, um, to your left. Hey. When, when you talk about the, the, the focus on the, the, the Miami car, what, I mean, what more can you do? I mean, it, obviously you guys were among the strongest teams, so you, you were going to prepare a, Miami, a strong Miami car. The focus was already going to be a part of that. So, you know, when I hear people talk about, hey, we win early, we know, we don't have to worry about this race, so we can focus on Miami, it makes it sound like people weren't focusing on Miami. So what, 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 what more can you guys do? Because aren't you already doing, in essence, 100% every week? Well, I think a lot plays into it. It's not necessarily just the car preparation, uh, which is a big part of it. Uh, but one of the things I felt last year that hurt us was, you know, the team had to work um, – they put so much emphasis on Phoenix because we had to we had to win. By the time we got to Homestead, I, I just felt like the guys were kind of burned out, you know. And when you get to that point, it's real easy to make mistakes uh, or or not make clear decisions. So when you say prepare for Homestead, there's a lot that goes into that. The team, you know, gets a little bit extra rest. The engineers can look at the setups and really put a good game plan together for practice. Not that you don't do that every week. But when you have more time, you know, you can turn more stones and, and make sure that your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And you just feel better about going in there with a little more confidence. Especially from my end, I have a, a simulator slot every week. And, and now I'm sure next week we'll, we won't spend as much time on Phoenix and, and double up on Homestead. Yeah, Homestead's it's very difficult because the tire, it's kind of like um, Darlington or California. Uh, you do get two sets of tires in practice, but once you get, you know, a few laps on them, you just aren't learning anything. So, you know, you have to do your homework. Once you get to the racetrack, especially that track, because it's so unique and it wears tires out so fast, um, better be prepared before you get there. It's not like you can just unload and say, all right, well, let's go see how our car is, and we'll make, you know, here, you can make five or six runs on a set of tires, and they're going to repeat. Homestead's not that way, so the more you can, you know, run simulation, and the more you can run, uh, you know, different setups through that, and, and, you know, look through notes, all the different things you do each week, um, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, and I don't think it's, whenever we go to the simulator, driving is a part of it, like getting me acclimated to the racetrack is a part of it, but I think it's a relatively small part of it. It's uh, going through all those changes because, like Jason said, having two sets of tires at Homestead is um, essentially having two runs. you you got two tries in practice to figure out what you're going to race, and whenever you have a simulator, you can hit the reset button as much as you want and try different packages and, and see what you like the best. Yep. All right, additional questions? Okay, Wolfgang, and then we'll come up front to Lee. Yep, go ahead. I have to, uh, for Christopher, first of all, congratulations. Uh, question number one, was it difficult? I think around lap 152 or 53, we had the red flag situation to stay focused. And then you mentioned um, a simulator. How realistic 
is a simulator compared to the real thing, to your real race car. Are there still some differences? Uh, there's definitely some differences, and there's some racetracks that are better than others. Um, and obviously Homestead is a, a racetrack that they focus on really hard to make sure that it's as accurate as can be because it's an important race. And then uh, as far as the red flag goes, that was actually uh, really beneficial for me because we were having a lot of issues uh, throughout the course of the race, and then the red flag kind of allowed our car to um, recoup, and, and then we were good to go for the end. All right. We can get a microphone up to Lee, please. Jason, are you concerned about the brakes, or do you think that this was just a fluky thing that happened tonight? Uh, I'm not concerned. I mean, we'll get home and, and look at it or here in just a little bit. When I get back to the garage, uh, the car will be on jack stands. We'll look it over and, and just kind of play the race back with Christopher and, and think through, okay, is this a, is this a track thing? Is this a, something we miss? Um, but we'll go through it, you can bet, you know, with a fine-tooth comb and make sure that we understand what happened, um, if it was a fluke deal or if it was just this track, these conditions. Um, it'll be right for Homestead. Was it a new package that you were trying it to? Wasn't. Um, it wasn't. I not mean, this just seems like an unusual place to have break issues. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was confused about, too, because uh, you don't really use a ton of brakes here. Yeah. Yesterday... We saw the brakes hotter than we typically do. Um, so, yeah, maybe we have a problem. We'll figure it out. And, Bell, any shot of um, you running a Chad Boat midget at Chili Bowl <laughs> rather than with uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Keith Coons? So, hey, yeah, guess what? Christopher's going cup racing next year. <laughs> <laughs> We've had that question for 12 months. Well, this is completely you know, oh. new genre. Yeah. I know. I'm just waiting on somebody to ask it. Uh, yes. Wow. Can you kind of elaborate on that? I uh, just I, – I love it. We went from Homestead <laughs> to the Chili Bowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I love Pete and Keith, and they, uh, they're like family to me. Um, and it just for me, I, I've – been there, done that, and I've won so many races for Pete and Keith that um, I just I feel like I was set up for failure going to the racetrack with them because we've been so successful in the past, and I hated that feeling. For me, going midget racing was is about uh, enjoying it, having fun, and um, I, I want to go there, and, and me and Chad have become really good friends over the last year or so, and um, now whenever I go to the racetracks with Chad, it, it's all about enjoying it, having fun. Results are secondary. And with Keith Coons Motorsports, results are the primary. And, and I, I feel like I was set up for failure whenever I was going to the racetrack with them. So uh, I, I really enjoy racing with Chad because it's just uh, me and my buddy headed out to the dirt track. Yeah, it's going to be a very unique chili bowl. That's that's for sure. Change of pace. All right, Chris. Yeah, ChrisLinkEdgeFence.com. Just a couple quick questions for Jason. Are you taking a new car to Homestead, or is it a car that you've raced this year? And for Christopher, how much more patient of a driver are you this year at this time compared to where you were last year? Uh, it's a car we've we've raced this year. Um, 
we've got, you know, it, at this point last year, we had a car picked out, and we took it to Kansas, and unfortunately, it was destroyed. So then we picked our second one out, which it was good, and we came to Texas with it, and unfortunately, it was destroyed. Uh, so, you know, several weeks ago, we looked at it, and it was hard to choose because we've got some a lot of really good race cars. But after Vegas, we felt like with the speed that the car showed there that uh, it was time to set one aside and, and, and make sure that we had um, our top choice, you know, sitting in the corner and, and not destroyed at some other race. Yes. And then uh, my question was? Uh, that, that's that's a tough question. Um, I do feel like I've just kind of set back a little bit more, and uh, you know, pavement racing in general is it's just it's a it's a fine line, and all you can do as a race car driver is take your car right to the edge of the of control and just live there on that edge. And whenever you get behind, especially in pit strategy or uh, if you have a bad restart, it's really easy to start creeping over that line and, and making mistakes. Whereas, especially tonight, I feel like I uh, I stayed really calm in the car and um, just kind of rode it out and let the race play out, and, and we were there at the end. All right. We'll take our – okay, we'll go Reed, and then we'll take our final question back from Dustin. Reed, go ahead. Reed Spencer with NASCAR Wire. When you do the Sims for Homestead, are you going to live on the top of the track? Well, I feel like last year we were fairly committed to not running the top of the racetrack, and uh, – Reddit kind of proved us otherwise, so um, I, I don't know. Me and Jason obviously need to sit down and talk about our game plan going in there, um, but I, I think our best bet is to race the racetrack and make the best lap time we can, whether that's on the white line or up, the, up around the fence. All right, Dustin, go ahead. Uh, Dustin, a long time NBC Sports. Christopher, just to go back to what you were saying about the, the Chili Bowl and, and, and going into a different ride, Obviously, this coming year, you you certainly have a great opportunity to tie a mark, and it's not too many times athletes get opportunities to tie or eventually gain position to break records. Um, and I'm curious when you talk about setup for for failure with, with you know being in a, in a Coons car, aren't you still kind of being in that situation because of the expectation? Uh, even though it's a different ride, that hey, you're the you're the gunslinger at the at the Chili Bowl type of thing. I, I was just, when you talked about that, it kind of confused me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely an honor. You don't um, I think what Kevin Kevin has four in a row, and I've got three in a row right now. So you don't get that up. It's probably a once in a lifetime opportunity, and and I hope it I can live up to expectations. But um, I've won three Chili Bowls. If I never win a fourth, I think I'll I'll be just fine. Uh, what card number? No, not yet. It'll be an 80-something. All right. Well, next week you'll be driving the number 20. So you at least know that, right? That's right. All right. Well, congratulations. Enjoy those cowboy hats. Thank and uh, best of luck next week. Thank you. <laughs> Christopher <clears throat> makes his way into the Whoops. Beach. Okay. Andy, uh, your thoughts about uh, Christopher and uh, Jason Ratcliffe's comments uh, during that press conference? 
Well, it was a statement win. They dominated the race, for one thing. They were uh, the class of the field. It's no surprise that they went to victory lane. Um, But just a lot of experience there, especially when you listen to Jason Ratcliffe, a veteran cup crew chief, um, who's been working with Christopher the last uh, couple, three seasons in the Xfinity Series. Um, You you can tell that that team is prepared. They they know what they're doing going into Homestead. They've already got a car picked out. Um, you know, they are, they're ready to go. And, um, I think when you look at, at, uh, Christopher's dirt track background, um, you know, it, it tends to lend itself to being very competitive at Homestead, uh, those worn out racetracks where you have to run the high line, um, you know, the, like Reddick and Bell and, and, you know, you look at Custer and Briscoe, some of those guys, th- those are the guys you're going to have to beat at Homestead. So, um, it's, it's, hard to bet against anyone other than Christopher Bell right now. Certainly I think the preparation is there. You can hear the confidence in their game plan and what they intend to do. And I think that they'll be in really good shape uh, going into Homestead in a couple of weeks. Yeah, they do have a lot of confidence and uh, you know, it was amazing to me to hear them talking already about Phoenix and uh, Homestead Miami uh, so soon after winning <laughs> at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, those guys are well prepared. And uh, Christopher certainly has reason to be very confident uh, in in uh, his team and uh, everything that they've accomplished this season. His stats are just amazing um, <clears throat> for, for uh, a young driver coming into the series. And I think we have a lot to look forward to with Christopher Bell for many, many years to come. Uh, it was also kind of cool to kind of get some comments uh, with regard to his thoughts about the Chili Bowl and uh, maybe uh, spending some uh, some track time there as well. Yeah, you know, I've honestly been a big fan of seeing these drivers run other series and other events and, you know, his his love for dirt track racing is evident. Uh, reminds me a lot of Kyle Larson, you know, as well. So, um, you know, for him to, to have that desire and compete in other divisions is, is great to see. Uh, yes. I'm sorry I didn't catch all of that, Andy. Can you repeat it? Yeah, basically just, um, you know, it's fun to see these other drivers uh, compete and, and want to race in other series. You know, I think that Christopher yeah. Bell's desire uh, is a lot like Kyle Larson's in that sense of, you know, he's got his full-time NASCAR job, but he enjoys the Chili Bowl. He enjoys dirt track racing. And uh, it's great to see these drivers go and, and race in these other divisions. Yes, it is. And uh, they do bring a lot of attention to those other divisions uh, when they do spend time doing that. Uh, and I think we've men- kind of mentioned this before. It's it's really kind of cool to see when drivers do that uh, and kind of do that cross promotion of these other series. So uh, uh, it, it's kind of although it, it was a NASCAR uh, event and a NASCAR press conference, uh, it was kind of interesting to kind of uh, hear his thoughts about uh, racing in the chilling bo- chili bowl. Uh, as he mentioned, he's a multi-time winner. And uh, in that Chili Bowl, and uh, uh, it's always kind of cool to see uh, Christopher Bell, who was so strong in that series, uh, bring some attention to it. All right, it's 
uh, the bottom of the hour now, which means that it's time for us to now move on, Andy, to the uh, Monster Energy Cup Series uh, for the race results there and our review of Kevin Harvick winning that race. Uh, He was, of course, driving the number four uh, for Stuart Haas Racing with uh, crew chief Rodney Childers. Uh, He won the 15th annual AAA Texas 500 Uh, It was his 49th victory in 680 Monster Energy Cup Series events. Uh, It's also his fourth victory and 24th top 10 finish this season. Again, some amazing stats there. Uh, It was Kevin Harvick's third victory and 22nd top 10 finish in 34 races at Texas Motor Speedway. Again, some pretty amazing stats. Uh, in second place was Eric Almarola. He posted his fourth top ten finish in 18 races at Texas, and it is his 12th top ten finish this season. Daniel Suarez, who finished third, a one-two-three finish for Stuart Hawes Racing, uh, posted his second top ten finish in six races at Texas Motor Speedway. The highest finishing rookie was Daniel Hemrick, finishing in 16th place. So uh, to kind of go down the list here for the remaining finishers, um, we mentioned already the top three uh, from Stuart Haas Racing, Kevin Harvick, Eric Almarola, and Daniel Suarez, along with fourth-place finisher Joey Logano and fifth-place Alex Bowman. Uh, So we had uh, uh, mainly it was the Fords at the top of the line here in the top five. Then we get into some Toyotas uh, from sixth on down. Martin Truex Jr. finishing sixth, Kyle Busch in seventh, Ryan Blaney finishing eighth, Kurt Busch in in the ninth place finish, and Eric Jones rounding out the top ten. Hey, Sharon, with Kevin Harvick's 49th career Cup Series victory, guess who he tied in the Uh, all-time I I saw this stat. It was his uh, boss, Tony Stewart, right? Yeah. I didn't know this until today. Actually, uh, NASCAR America, I believe I was watching when I saw this, but what an incredible honor to be uh, tied with your car owner for for 14th all-time on the win list at win number 49. That's pretty incredible. Um, Just wanted to throw that out there for those who didn't know that because that that blew my mind. I had no idea that that's where Kevin was. Um, nonetheless, so we look at just looking at the playoff drivers here as we continue down the running order. Kyle Larson, um, kind of a, not the day he exactly wanted. I think people were expecting a little bit better result out of him. He finished in 12th. And then um, kind of looking back down here, several playoff drivers had all kinds of issues. Benny Hamlin. Uh, back in 28th, he got loose off turn four, slid down through the infield grass, did some significant damage to his race car that took him out of any chance of being competitive and certainly put a damper on his chances to make that round of four, which I think we all thought that he would have a really good chance to go contend for a championship. Now it's looking a bit dire uh, in his uh, chances. Chase Elliott uh, has just had a disastrous playoffs unfortunately for him 32nd place finish after he got loose off turn two and made a a hard contact with the turn two wall significant right side damage to his napa auto parts machine it would make for a long afternoon for him and then um 
you know, a bunch of other issues for other drivers, but specifically those playoff cars that have really put themselves in a, in a difficult spot, I think, moving into ISM Raceway next weekend. Yes, indeed. And, and some, you know, Denny Hamlin was having a good run. He was racing up there and contending for the lead uh, for a good part of the race until this happened. Uh, and then some other drivers that were also up there, uh, it was deja vu seeing Jimmy Johnson in the lead at Texas Motor Speedway. He ended up uh, with a 34th place finish uh, because he had some issues. Uh, and then also Brad Keselowski and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, looked like uh, synchronized uh, spins out there uh, for those guys uh, as they had uh, some issues uh, running high on the high line uh, with that uh, PJ compound uh, not yet uh, set up, I guess, uh, during the heat. And uh, they took spins, uh, kind of putting them in bad situations. Actually, it took them out of the race. So um, uh, some some competitive drivers uh, taken out uh, early uh, with some uh, uh, some of the racing issues on the track. Yeah, I think it was a spin for Jimmy Johnson too, wasn't it? Yeah, Johnson got loose as well and uh, had some right side damage to his car off turn two. Um, the PJ1 certainly lend itself to, to tricky conditions early on in the race, and I think that's why we saw the number of cautions that we did early on. Um, as you mentioned already, Sharon, uh, when the PJ1 isn't heated up, it's not sticky, therefore there's no grip. And unfortunately, you know, anytime you get off the bottom and tried to run an upper groove, we saw a lot of incidents um, that certainly had implications on the race. A lot of competitive cars and and drivers got themselves into trouble. Uh, Yes, indeed. And, uh, uh, you know, it it was an interesting race, but it was also disappointing uh, for a lot of these drivers who, who were having good runs. Uh, for those incidents to take place and take them out of the running. Now, Kevin Harvick did win the first stage of the event, uh, but it was Eric Almarola who won the second stage. Uh, he had a fantastic run throughout the season, and or throughout the race, I'm sorry, and was actually contending for the win uh, several times uh, in those closing laps. Uh, there were four caution flags. I'm sorry, there were 11 caution flags for 56 laps. Uh, of this race also 26 lead changes among 11 drivers including kevin harvick eric jones uh clint boyer was up there at uh, some point throughout this race as was alex bowman jimmy johnson daniel suarez william byron um joey logano let's see i'm looking for new names kyle bush uh, led at some point, so uh, quite a few drivers up there contending uh, for that lead throughout this event. Yeah, a lot of a lot of lead changes, and also a lot of different strategies that came into play as well. Watching this race, oh, yeah. uh, you mentioned, you mentioned um, the fourteen. Um, you know, I think he had a car that was as good as his teammates, but track position still means a lot with this package. And they got track position, they led some laps, but that lent itself to an 11th place finish later in the race. So uh, track position certainly played a key role. And when you look at, uh, you know, what a lot of these teams did at the end of the stages, um, some some teams 
opted to pit toward the end of a stage and would stay out at the stage break, therefore regaining the track position. Others would, would pit at the end of the stage. So there was a lot of varying strategies, and I think that lent itself to the different leaders because clean air is, is king, and, and I think when you could get out front and get that clean air, um, that would allow you to get out there and lead. So, um, you know, certainly a lot of um, – you know, a lot of a lot of different strategies and a lot of different, um, um, you know, different uh, sequences of the lineup is what I'm trying to say, I guess, because you know, You're right. you, you would you would see different uh, different teams, different drivers up front at various points because of the varying strategies. So that certainly uh, lent itself to um, to seeing the change that we did throughout the course of the race. Yeah, and I think it made that whole race uh, pretty interesting to watch because you didn't know uh, which side of that strategy was going to be out front at the end of the race until the end of the race. So uh, it was fun to watch that play out. And, uh, you know, if I as I look at some of the point standings uh, between the three series, I think this Monster Cup series has the tightest points battle that's taking place. And, and where we've seen the biggest surprises – of the season, uh, the playoff season uh, has happened right here in the Cup Series. Uh, you want to go ahead and cover that? Yeah, we can take a look at the points here. Certainly, uh, Martin Truex Jr. Uh, safely locked in as your points leader. Kevin Harvick locked himself into Homestead in second. You've got Kyle Busch in third, um, and then Joey Logano only two points back of him in, in fourth. A very tight battle there, and this is really significant in this way because um, if one of the the four drivers that's currently below the cut line were to win it at ISM Raceway this coming weekend, it would knock out the fourth-place car. So that two-point differential between Bush and Magano is extremely significant because whomever somehow is in that fourth spot, should someone below them win, uh, they're the ones knocked out. So you've got a really tight battle for that last transfer spot. And then you've got, um, you know, Denny Hamlin at 20 points back, um, Ryan Blaney only three points back of him. Actually, it appears that uh, Blaney and Larson are tied, um, only three points back of, of Hamlin. And then Chase Elliott, unfortunately, is the one, I believe, 78 points out, Um back there in eighth. Uh, unfortunately, it would seem, based on the points, that Hamlin, Blaney, Larson, and Elliott are all in need of a win in order to advance. I find it hard to believe that they're going to point their way in. Excuse me, but I, I, I do believe that all four of those those drivers and teams are capable of winning this weekend, and that's why it's incredibly important if you're Bush or Logano to try to outrun the other uh, to be that third car, because it seems that that fourth position is very much up for grabs. Yeah, you've got uh, pretty much six drivers all competing uh, for those two spots that are left uh, for the playoff uh, finale at Homestead, Miami. Uh, And, you know, even though Kyle Busch, and we said this last week too, and it turned out to be true, uh, Denny Hamlin was second place last week, and uh, even though he was in second place and it looked like he was in a good spot, uh, anything can happen and did happen uh, that made him vulnerable at this stage of the of the uh, playoffs. Uh, and the same thing could happen here for Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. And we've seen it happen throughout the playoffs where there's a mechanical failure, 
there's a pit road penalty. Uh, there's a spin uh, that takes place that, uh, you know, that's what happened to Denny Hamlin. He, he, he lost control of the car and went spinning through that grass, and it, it pretty much uh, messed up his car for the rest of the race. So you never know what's going to happen, and I think that's going to be true at Phoenix, just like it has been throughout this uh, playoff season. And uh, you're right, those guys at the bottom, uh, all, all six of those guys are going to be looking to win. Uh, but uh, you can also bet that uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Kevin Harvick aren't going to rest on their laurels. They're going to be looking to win at that track as well uh, and uh, just solidify uh, their uh, their strength going into Homestead, Miami. So this is going to be a... <laughs> A desperate situation for a lot of these drivers, I think, at Phoenix uh, coming up this weekend. Desperate and aggressive, I think, are the two words that come to mind because you're going to see aggressive strategy and racing from those four drivers below the cut line trying to make their way in. And and, and you, you look at it, um, you know, Denny Hamlin, I think it, it's fair to say that uh, Joe Gibbs Racing's had a really good program on the flat short track this year. Ryan Blaney, um, as I recall, has been very good at Phoenix in the past. Larson, you can never count him out. And Chase Elliott, you can't count him out. He's he's proven that he can win on, uh, you know, multiple different types of racetracks. And certainly um, he and that Alan Gustafson-led crew could easily um, get out there and, and, you know, have a fast car and straight up win the race or use strategies to try to win the race. I just, you know, I, I, I've never you know, never really seen a more stacked round of round of eight when you look at this field because <laughs> any one of them can win. And I, I truly I know. believe and I think I, I think I said it in our you know in our own messaging back and forth that, you know, I, I think it's fair to say obviously, you know, Truex and Harvick are locked in. I think Bush is in pretty good shape, but that fourth spot you just don't know what can happen and I'm of the belief that we will see someone from fifth to eighth to go out there win and, and advance via the win. So um, that's what's going to make this race fun to watch on Sunday. Uh, I do think so. And not only that, uh, you know, when you consider that Joy Logano, who's on top of the line, is two points behind Kyle Busch, who's in third place. Uh, and then you look at Denny Hamlin, who 20 points out. Um, but the, there's three points between him Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson, <laughs> just three points between those three drivers. And they all think that you can win at Phoenix next weekend. So um, they could knock out, depending on how it plays out between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, uh, with just two points between them, uh, one of them could very well be knocked out uh, next week at Phoenix. Uh, and then – also take into consideration there's plenty of spoilers who are below that eighth place spot as well that we saw run really well at Texas and could run well at Phoenix as well. Uh, you've got Clint Boyer, who, as you mentioned, was leading. Uh, William Byron was leading. Brad Keselowski had a fairly decent race going. Eric Almarola finished second. Kurt Busch was up there uh, racing hard, as was Ryan Newman. Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez, Jimmy Johnson. That goes as far back as 18th place, where those drivers are up there racing in that top five throughout the, the day. So I look for more of that to happen at Phoenix as well. 
and uh, it's very possible we could see a non-contender uh, win there as well, which would be good news uh, for perhaps Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, as far as, you know, who can win this race, I mean, it's it totally blown wide open um, because, you know, every every team has their own agenda. Everyone's out there to try to win. Everyone wants to finish this 2019 season on a strong note, and certainly a win uh, would, would help that cause. And so I think that um, while, you know, in my opinion, it will probably be a playoff car that wins the race, I mean, th- this is Phoenix. So this is an unpredictable racetrack. You just never know what can happen. And obviously, you get a guy like Jimmy Johnson up there. He's hungry. He hasn't won in two and a half years. He's going to go up there and try to get what he can get, as is the rest of the field. So um, we're in a a unique position of of really seeing things wide open. I I like the fact that um, this race is unpredictable, and and I also like the fact that this race will be – uh, the season finale next year because it is a unique racetrack. It is a, by definition, it is a one mile flat short track, but it is unique in nature and it uh, really lends itself to see some unique racing and the restarts there are pretty wild. So um, it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch to say the least. Yes, indeed, and uh, we will definitely uh, look forward to that race. Uh, Right now what I'd like to do is uh, to play some of the post-race audio uh, that uh, is primarily, uh, it's not Kevin Harvick, but we will hear from uh, his crew chief, Rodney Childers, as well as the team owner, Tony Stewart, uh, during their post-race conference. Uh, after winning at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. So let me put that on now. We're going to kick off our um, post-race media availability here for the AAA Texas 500 here at Texas Motor Speedway. We are joined by our race-winning team team owner, Tony Stewart, and our race-winning crew chief, Rodney Childers. And first of all, congratulations, gentlemen, on the win today and making – it officially into the final four for Homestead um, in two weeks. So we will take questions for Tony or Rodney. If you have one, please raise your hand, state your name and affiliation, and we'll start with Jerry. Jerry Jordan, kicking the tires on it. Tony, I was going to ask you the same what she said. You've come in here twice now. But uh, on a serious note, uh, talk about what it means to uh, have Kevin locked in at Homestead. We kind of we rushed on that, uh, but now it's a reality. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a, that's a big deal to us. I mean, it's um, – you know, it's a scenario that it takes a lot of pressure off next week. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that are all lumped together there that are going to be fighting for two spots. So, uh, you know, there, there's a ton of pressure for those guys. And the next seven days is not going to be a fun seven days, uh, you know, for those guys preparing for it. But, you know, it gives, gives Rodney a little bit of a breather, gives Kevin a little bit of a breather to go out and, and uh, you know, it doesn't mean next weekend you don't you don't work hard. I mean, you, you, you stay the course. I mean, He'll tell you he's going to work just as hard next week as he is for Homestead. So uh, you got to keep that momentum going. And uh, but the nice thing is, it does it does take that edge off, I guess. Uh, you know, of worry it takes that out of the equation going into next weekend. So uh, you know, it's big for the organization. You know, obviously it's it's the goal of the company every year to to be in that position where you know you're going to take at least one car to Homestead to race for a, a championship. So uh, you know you. This is one of those tracks, and, and Phoenix next week is one that, you know, is 
they're kind of Kevin and Rodney's playground, so to speak, so uh, or have been historically. So uh, you know that these are good opportunities. You, you hate to have to rely on Phoenix to to get you in that position, but um, you know to be able to to knock it out like they did today and do it in such a dominant fashion. I mean that's uh, you know that's the kind of day that that sets a statement to the competition that, that you know we feel like our team's peaking at the right time and getting ready for the end of the year. And, and Rodney, for you, um, obviously y'all started off strong with a lot of laps, and then it dropped back. And I think Kevin was sounding kind of frustrated over the radio at some point. What wasn't like in the car, and whatever changes you made, obviously went back to the front and some cautions fell, things like that. But talk about how you managed the race today to, to dominate like you did. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was we we had a great car off the truck. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't have to chase anything during practice. We didn't have to change anything on our setup or anything like that. And we were able to to just work on the the little things during the weekend. And um, you know, we talked about it a lot this morning that um, it, it was going to be a different race. You know, we had a lot of messages last night about the way that it played out in the spring. And um, you know, I I watched the race from the spring for the third time this morning. And, um, you know, there's just so many circumstances that can change with, with putting two tires on, with gas only, with four tires. And, um, you know, we're normally the ones that, that I, I can't stand the points race, I'll be honest. I don't want to stay out there and get stage points. I want to put ourselves in the best position to try to win the race. And um, so doing that, you know, you end up putting yourself in a bad spot on those restarts after the stage breaks. and. He was able to do a, a really good job of driving back up uh, through there and, and getting six in the uh, in the second stage, and then um, you know it, we stayed out at the end of the second stage to get those points and um, put us in a pretty bad hole. Uh, didn't have a great pit stop, and then got a penalty, the next caution, and just a lot of things didn't go right. But uh, like you said, we made some adjustments, and um, honestly, I think just being able to put tires on that one time when those other guys had two or three cycles on their tires ended up being a bigger deal than what we ever thought. Um, you know, you would have thought just, you know, you could go all night with not putting tires on. It's not that big a deal. But uh, once we got rolling there and having a little bit better tires, it, it made a big a big difference for us. And, uh, you know, just kept it turning. That, that, that's really what it was all about is keeping it turning off of turn, off of turn two and, and keeping that momentum going. All right. I believe we have a question in the press box. Uh, actually, two questions. Uh, Wolfgang Wachter from Germany, Sport Press Agency. Wolfgang, you never have one question. You always got two questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, all about consistency, so I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, congratulations for both of you. I mean, great results. Three cars uh, among the first three. I have a question, two questions for Rodney. Um, you just said the car was very good um, out of the the truck or box or trailer, whatever you name engine, and you just change little things. Can you go more into details? What are the little things? Um, I mean, the, we didn't change a single shock or a single, a single um, you know, spring, sway bar, none of that. We, we never changed heights. We never did any of that all weekend. So it just enabled us to, to really focus on some of the small things, uh, you know, obviously going through the OSS multiple times and making sure that all that looked good and, um, you know, making sure our splitter will look good in all of our pictures and videos and just those types of things is, is uh, really what I was talking about. Um, but it also just keeps uh, the atmosphere um, 
in the right spot, I guess you could say. You know, after going through the week that we had at, at Martinsville, um, you know, that was a stressful weekend. Uh, we didn't seem to do a whole lot right the whole weekend. And, um, you know, to be able to, to work hard all week and to come here and have things flow the way that they're supposed to flow, um, that, that's really what it was all about. Okay, question number two. I mean, just looking at you from the press box, uh, all cars look very, very fast. How, how identical is the setup between uh, Kevin's car and uh, his teammates? I don't think that's anybody's business. But um, the cars weren't built the same and the setups weren't the same. So they still ran one, two, three. We've got one more up here. Go ahead. Jim Hunter, Motorsport.com for Rodney. Could you just talk a little bit about how far uh, your team has come from the start of this season in terms of getting a handle of the package and getting in a position to go from where you were running at the beginning of the year to now competing for a championship? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, I'll take as much responsibility for that at the beginning of the year than anything um, you know, we, we looked at a lot of different things going into the year. We went to the Vegas test, um, and, you know, we, we decided to go different ways on different things. And, um, you know, obviously you have to pick a direction, right? And and we picked a direction, and, and it wasn't the right direction, but you've got cars built that are six weeks out, and then you've already went through six, seven races before you can even react to anything. And then once you react to that, you, you've got to – figure it out you got to figure out how to drive it you got to figure out how to set it up and um so at that point then you're 10 weeks out and um so you know a lot of that was just part of the sport and part of the way that we operate and um you know you can't just change things on the fly you can't rebuild cars and um you know as we learned um you know obviously all of our drivers got better our teams um you know the setups all that stuff and you know, you wanna you wanna win as many races as you can, just like last year. Um, but on the other hand, you need to be right in, in the second half of the year and, and be able to start focusing on those details of, of what you need and um, you know how to make the cars fast, but also drive them in traffic. And um, you know, I think that that was just part of it. You know, it it was it was a, a big learning curve for all of us and uh, something that we just had to work through. Okay, uh, obviously we can't play all of the uh, comments there, but uh, that segment was 33 minutes long. But uh, some interesting comments from Rodney Childers, and uh, he's been a really great matchup with Kevin Harvick, uh, Andy. Well, (laughs) this is why you can never count this team out, because they just continue to find a way to make it to Homestead. I think, I believe I saw earlier today that they've made – I think five out of the last six final fours uh, to contend for a championship. So, I mean, it, it, it's no secret that, that Stuart Haas racing hasn't been on the level that they were last year, but like Rodney alluded to, they've spent this entire year trying to make sure that they're good to go to contend for the championship. And I think it's fair to say that their performance yesterday was like uh, the Stuart Haas racing of the old from 2018. So, um, just a lot of admiration for Rodney. I think that he's just an amazing crew chief. He he and Kevin have certainly worked very well together, and uh, it's going to make them tough to beat at Homestead once again. <laughs> I, I think you're right, Andy. Uh, I just want to give a quick programming note here. 
We uh, tried really hard to get Mason Mingus on the show here tonight. Uh, He was the winner of the All-American 400 at Nashville Fairgrounds this past weekend, and it was a wild race. Uh, And uh, I just heard back from him, Andy, and it looks like we're going to try to uh, see if we can't book him for another time here on Fan for Racing Radio so we can talk about that victory. And so uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, it was uh, kind of a, a surprise victory for Mason. He wasn't even expected to drive that car until late. And uh, he took uh, the place. I think it was uh, another driver. I can't, the name's eluding me right now, but we'll have all those details for you later. Uh, but he, he came into the car late and then ended up with the victory uh, with a wild finish uh, there at the end and a little bit of controversy as well. So we'll have a lot to talk about with Mason uh, Mingus when uh, we're able to rebook him on the show. So just a programming note there for uh, our listeners to look forward to down the road here. Yeah, looking forward to that for sure. And uh, hopefully uh, Jay Huseman's on that one. I believe Jay was at that race. Um, you yeah. know, a big, a big, a big, uh, 400 lapper at the fairgrounds. They're a big race and, uh, you know, we'll get some insiders, uh, perspective from Jay on that one. So hopefully he's on board, uh, when we can interview Mason and certainly looking forward to that. It's going to be a good one. Okay. So, uh, it, it definitely is going to be a good one. And, uh, uh, if you haven't read up on it yet, you definitely want to read up on on the racing uh, that took place in that American 400. It's one of the coolest trophies, I think, around. We, we've got the Martinsville uh, clock, but these guys have the Nashville guitar uh, that they win when they when they win that race. Uh, any of the races there at uh, the Nashville Fairgrounds, and uh, uh, what a cool uh, uh, way to celebrate. Absolutely. All right. Uh, We are at the top of the hour, and that means it is time, Andy, for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment. And uh, we do have a little bit to talk about here. I'm going to start, though, Andy, if you will uh, kind of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? patronize me a little bit or what I, that's not the word but you know what I'm talking about um <laughs> what I want to talk about is are you uh, saying there was we, some news today <laughs> yes there was some news today what I want to talk about though is what we teased a little bit earlier on the show which is uh, some commentary from the drivers about drivers intentionally spinning on the track and impacting the race results uh I want to get your thoughts about uh, what Kyle Larson said, because he said Helen Keller could have seen that that was an intentional spin um, by by Carol Wallace Jr. And um, uh, I've heard commentary on both sides of the fence here. Uh, We heard Tony Stewart in his comments uh, a little bit earlier in the show here. If you haven't heard that, you want to backtrack to the first half hour. Toward the end of that uh, first half hour, we played his commentary. Uh, what are your thoughts about all of this hoopla? Man, I'll tell you. You know, it's it's such a it's it's a tough subject for me because I feel like I hate to see race manipulation and I hate to see people intentionally doing things. 
to try to affect the outcome of a race, but at the same time, I'm also of the belief that every team does it to some degree all the time. I think I don't think that there's a, a team and a driver that can say that they've never done anything to try to affect the the outcome of a race. So I just you know I, I tend to I tend to agree with what Tony Stewart was saying in in his interview that um, it's it's part of it. And as much as I hate to say that because I don't like to see things like this happen. Um, in the heat of the moment, you're you're trying to do what's best for you and your team, right? So, um, you know, and it's so difficult to prove. Um, it's so difficult to prove what's intentional and what's not. And I think that's a really good point Tony came up with. You know, if 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 NASCAR um, penalizes people every single time they think there might be something intentional going on, you know, that's just too much. And and I agree that. You know, we've probably got too many rules and regulations at this point to where, um, you know, I'm not sure that I I, I don't want to see over-regulation, if you will. So um, I I agree with what he's saying. I think that, you know, we we could run down a slippery slope of of over-penalizing if we get too deep into it. That being said, um, we've started to see a rash of this. And and what's interesting to me is, there, you know, this is if I if I may, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant because everyone came down so hard on Clint Boyer and Michael Walter Racing and Vickers, you know, back in 2013 for the the Richmond scandal, if you will. Those those guys were penalized hard for it, and and um, you know they were you know and it was a spin, you know, just like Joey Logano did last week and just like Bubba Wallace did this week but those guys aren't getting penalized for it when in fact it was the exact same thing. That's what frustrates me because there's no consistency. And it, it, you know, it's like you're either going to either need to penalize these guys or not penalize them at all. But you know, when, but, but when you can't police it and you can't tell if it's intentional or not, that's, that's the problem, you know, and that's, that's where you run down that slippery slope. Like I talked about um, is, you know, any any single time a driver has an incident or, or slows on the racetrack or spins, you know, how do you know if it's intentional or not? You know, that, that's the tough part. And, and that's where I agree with Tony that you need to you need to potentially lay off it a little bit. But at the same time, you know, I you don't like to see um, things done intentionally that negatively affect the outcome of the race, specifically, um, you know, like Larson and some other guys. Um, I, I think that that spin had an impact on, on Kevin Harvick winning, who is now going to the Final Four, who may potentially contend and, and go win a championship. So um, I don't like to see things done intentionally that, that affect the outcome of a race. And um, Yeah, it's just a, t- it's a tough spot to be in for sure. Uh, but it's just odd to me that we haven't really seen much of this recently and all of a sudden, we've seen this, you know, I think once or twice last week and again this week. It's it's, uh, it's a weird scenario that we're in right now, for sure. I'm, I'm curious to see what you think, Sharon, because um, it's just there's a lot of inconsistency with this, it seems. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, it is so hard. I, I feel for NASCAR because they're darned if they do and they're darned if they don't. And I know these guys 
are are really trying hard to do their absolute best on the track. That's great news for us as fans. Um, but I've got to also agree with what Tony Stewart said. Uh, I, I think Daryl Wallace Jr. Uh, was trying to do the best he could for Daryl Wallace Jr. and his team at Richard Petty Motorsports. I don't think it had anything at all to do uh, with what was happening on the track. I see where Kyle Larson's thinking is because it's a Ford team and he's thinking that he's out there trying to help the Fords. But at the same time, uh, um, I don't think he's doing what they're implying. Now, I I do think that a lot of people besides uh, Kyle Larson think that. And like you said, the very fact that there's been so many um, allusions to the fact uh, that there could be some intentional spinning going on on the track, not just this past weekend at Texas, but the previous week as well, uh, I think it is something that NASCAR needs to take a look at. Now, they did look at the situation with Daryl Wallace, Jr. They did not see it the same way as Kyle Larson saw it uh, and some of the other people who are, are kind of seeing it from his perspective, uh, so they did not see a need for any penalty to be placed. Uh, but here's where I agree with Kyle Larson. I am abhorrent to anybody doing anything to intentionally manipulate the race results. And if that is happening, then um, I do want to see something happen to those drivers. But that's a really tough thing for NASCAR to monitor uh, with all of the other things that they are monitoring in these races. And so um, I I would like to think, and I know this is uh, probably Pollyanna on my part, but I would like to think that with the way things played out uh, at Richmond a few years ago, uh, I would think that... uh, a lot of these guys would kind of police themselves when it comes to that kind of thing uh, and not do it in the first place. That being said, I know that there's so much pressure that that they're gonna, there's going to be temptation. Uh, it, it's just a fact of life. So uh, I, I, I think that uh, it's something that we need to keep our eye on uh, and call them out if, if somebody is doing that. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's such an extremely thing for extreme, extremely difficult thing for NASCAR to monitor on their own. So um, I, I'm not even sure where to go from here with it, Andy. So uh, I'd be interested in knowing your follow-up. Well, my follow-up would be: I think that teams have gotten smarter over time too. It's, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think that what happened with with Michael Waltrip racing in at Richmond in 2013, you know, I, I can't argue that what they did was intentional. They got caught doing it, but there was also questionable radio chatter, and I think teams have gotten smart about probably not saying anything on the radio that incriminates themselves. Um, you know, because if, if that were the case, you could easily incriminate uh, both the 22 last week and then the uh, the 43 this week. But And that's where it gets difficult, because if NASCAR has nothing to go on, then they have no way to really prove if the spin was intentional or not. Um, 
other than potentially looking at the use of in-car cameras. And I guess the only way to to really do that is, um, you know, use instant replay and install cameras in every single car, which is, I guess, feasible, certainly. Um, you know, but that's that, that may be a step in the right direction. Maybe that's what needs to be done. Um, you know, but short of that, it's really difficult to, to say for sure, um, you know, if someone does something intentionally. And look, you know, I think that, you know, I think in the case of certainly the 43 this week, you know, they were they were doing, unfortunately, what needed to be done. You know, I think that if 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 the race goes green, they lose multiple laps. If they if the race, you know, goes under caution, then then they save themselves from going yet another lap down. So you can kind of see why it happened. I'm not saying I'm a fan of it, but you can at least understand why this happened. And like I said, you know. Every every uh, team that competes every week is going to do what what's best for them in terms of of trying to you know to try to better their own position on the racetrack and um, you know I think unfortunately and honestly Sharon I I'd have to say that there's a lot of things that have happened that we don't even know about over the years you know I'm sure there's a lot <laughs> that's gone on that that uh, you know that we probably don't even want to know so I mean it's it's too bad, you know, you hate to see it. I'm certainly not a fan of it either, just like you. Um, but I'm not really sure there's a great way of policing it, you know, short of, like I said, in-car cameras for every car and, and uh, you know, using instant replay to go back and analyze it. That's about it. Yeah, and unfortunately a lot of the rules that are put in place are there because people have kind of pushed the, uh, pushed, uh, the rules behind pushed the uh, honor system, I should say, beyond its limit. And uh, rules are always put in place uh, by the minority, but it affects the majority. And uh, that's just a fact of life, unfortunately. And uh, I I would hate to see it kind of go to that direction. But at the same time, uh, I, I'm I'm very hopeful, and I know it's Pollyanna on my part. I'm very hopeful that these guys kind of figure it out for themselves, how it damages the, the sport more than it helps the sport. And it's uh, kind of selfish on their part <laughs> uh, in some respects uh, to maybe go there in the first place. But uh, um, and, and a lot of this, too, you got to keep in mind is gamesmanship, uh, trying to gain an advantage or a one-upsmanship on the on the competition, so uh, so it, it is one of those things that uh, uh, I think we just have to keep an eye on and and hope it uh, doesn't uh, spin out of control. I'll just leave it at you that. You know, and I I think the um, I think the important part about this too is hopefully it doesn't get out of hand. Hopefully. Uh, this isn't something that we see have an impact on on ISM Raceway, you know, impacting the Final Four and hopefully not the championship because the last thing NASCAR needs is to have cheating headlines yeah. end the year. We don't, I don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. Nobody wants to see it. So um, hopefully, um, hopefully this doesn't become a thing to close out the season because it's weird that uh, we've seen a rash of this last week and this week and. You know, let's reiterate, no one's been proven of it. No one's been penalized for it. But unfortunately, there's been some questionable, you know, questionable actions on the racetrack. And, you know, that's why this has reared its ugly head. But hopefully this does not impact next week or the week after. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll work on we'll work on <laughs> kind of keeping our eye on that and and hope it doesn't get to that point, Andy. Uh, because, uh, like you said, nobody wants it to get there, and uh, it it does not reflect well on the sport. Uh, and if if you really are a fan of this sport, if you really are uh, behind this sport all the way as a driver, uh, hopefully you won't put yourself in that position. So uh, with that, I think we've uh, kind of talked to this one uh, uh, to its uh, end <laughs> at this point. Uh, hopefully we've talked it to its end. Uh, so let's move on to the next topic, and I'll let you kind of get that started. Yeah, the only way I can close this out, Sharon, is I think they need to hire you, me, and Jay to, to go to the racetrack every week <laughs> and monitor what's going on, you know, full-time salary, of course, but we need, we need to be we need to be there to make sure that everyone's <laughs> on the up and up. Uh, that, that will take us, of course, into our next topic, and that is um, huge news. I think this, this might be, like, the biggest news I've seen in, yeah. in I don't know. I almost feel like a decade. I mean, this is this is big time, like real big time. But uh, Roger Penske and, and his organization have agreed to purchase um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Indianapolis or IMS Productions, and uh, the NTT IndyCar Series. This is huge, Sharon. I don't even know where to begin. You want to start? <laughs> Oh, well, it is very huge news, but I can't think of a better man or a better organization uh, to carry on the legend that is Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the IndyCar Series, and the uh, IMS uh, productions uh, and that are all part of this uh, acquisition. And uh, what's amazing is I think it took most of the racing world by surprise as it was uh, uh, kind of uh, kind of uh, sent out in uh, as a media advisory earlier today, and then ultimately the press conference that took place at uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time earlier today. Um, that it was uh, it was such an, an amazing uh, announcement. Uh, that everybody was very surprised. But at the same time, I think we're really happy to know, uh, number one, that the Holman family did so much uh, going back to 1947 uh, for IMS Raceway, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and their involvement with the IndyCar Series uh, and the uh, start of the IMS productions. Uh, and uh, we have a lot to be thankful for uh, their tenure in doing that. But we also have a lot to look forward for this next era uh, that will take place under, uh, under Roger Penske's leadership. And uh, it sounds like he's going to take a very active role as they transition into that leadership role. And uh, I'm excited about what's ahead. And as I watched all the commentary come in about the announcement 
it sounds like uh, a lot of the drivers uh, in Denny Car, uh, a lot of very important people throughout the racing world, including NASCAR, IndyCar, and uh, other forms of racing, are excited about this merger and very happy uh, that it is the Penske organization uh, that is uh, going to be part of the future. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a great thing, and uh, I think it, uh, we have a lot to look forward to. Uh, in, in seeing how this affects uh, our Brickyard 400 that takes place at Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well because uh, Mr. Penske had some really positive things to say about that and, and what he uh, will look at as far as uh, potential uh, enhancements uh, to an already popular race uh, on the circuit So at a legendary racetrack. <laughs> So what are your thoughts, Andy? Well, I mean, this is, I, I mean, to echo what you've already said, th- there's no better person in the organization to take over than Roger Pinsky. I mean, he if anyone understands the history and understands, you know, the value of, of Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar series, um, it, it's Roger Penske. I mean, he has a vested interest in his own teams in IndyCar for a long time. He understands the importance and the significance of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So if there's anybody that can take these entities to a new level, it has to be him. So um, there is there is single-handedly not a better person in organization to take over from the Holman family. So this is a, this is a big day in motorsports. Uh, I mean, internationally, this is a big day in motorsports because of <laughs> this acquisition. Um, and, and, and I just, you know, and, and Roger has extensive experience in owning racetracks. I mean, you know, he owned California Speedway. He, he owned Michigan Speedway. So, I mean, he has interest, or I should say he has um, experience, rather, in, in owning racetracks. Um, he has experience in everything, quite frankly. <laughs> but um, you know, he um, this this is a hundred percent the right person to lead this this uh, moving forward. And, and what's interesting about this, what really intrigues me as a you know, I'll admit I'm I'm more of a diehard NASCAR fan than IndyCar. I I'll, I'll pay attention to IndyCar, but I, I truthfully follow stock car racing. What really interests me, I think, the most is this. Roger, Roger, of course, you know, owns three Cup Series teams, and he owns um, at least uh, what, one or two Xfinity teams. Um, you know, Roger's tied to NASCAR, and now he's going to own the IndyCar Series. He could very well be the liaison that helps, you know, potentially connect NASCAR with IndyCar. And I think we're at a time where you know, popularity-wise, it may be important to tie the two together to, to help gain interest in both series. Um, you know, and, and we've been hearing talks about, you know, the potential for double headers and maybe, you know, some, some conjunction-type work. I mean, certainly, um, was it Joseph Newgarden, I think, that drove an Indy car on the Roval a few weeks ago? Um, you're starting mm-hmm. to see some, you're starting to see some, some crossover-type you know, mindset, and I think that's incredibly important uh, for both of these series, popularity-wise. And I think Roger Penske might be very well be that person that helps tie all this together. Um, you know, and it sounds like you know, based on what he said today, and I watched him interview on both NASCAR America and NASCAR Race. Um, you know, nothing's I think out of the realm of possibility at this point. So. 
um, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch and see what what happens. But certainly, um, it would be really cool to see some kind of a doubleheader action. You know, maybe an Indy car race on a Saturday and a, and a Cup race on Sunday. That would be pretty cool. Um, I'd go see it. You know, I mean, I would I would totally go check that out. You know, and that and that's coming from someone that's never been to an Indy car race live in person. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just think that uh, this is a really big step, you know, in a, in a good direction, and uh, I'm excited to see, you know, what this uh, what this yields um, in the years moving forward. But uh, I, I think it's a really really good scenario for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, let's keep in mind, you mentioned Joseph Newgarden. There's also Kurt Busch who's talked about wanting to do the double uh, with the Coke 600 and the Indianapolis 500 uh, next season. So uh, he's done that before. He's talked about the possibility of doing that again next year. And, uh, you know, there's going to be multiple opportunities, I think, for cross-promotion between both of those series. And you're right, it's going to bring uh, new fans to both of those series. Uh, And um, uh, NASCAR needs that, and it's certainly not going to hurt IndyCar at all to have uh, that kind of cross-promotion as well. So you're right. I think Roger Penske is going to play a key role in that. Uh, He did mention Austin Sendrick, who kind of leads uh, that Team Penske organization on the uh, cup side here, will continue to do that. He's not looking to make changes at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so that management uh, is pretty much intact as well. And I'm assuming the same is true for IMS uh, Productions. Uh, And uh, uh, I I, I really think Roger Penske – is a businessman, and I think he will run uh, all of this with a business mindset uh, that will benefit uh, everybody involved, from the fans uh, to the organizations uh, that we're talking about here and uh, to the drivers that are involved within those organizations. So uh, I I think this is a win 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 all the way around the the, the track if you will here, and uh, I I think that uh, it, it's not only big news Andy it's historic news this does this is something that happens uh, rarely uh, and uh, we're we're going to get a chance to watch this uh, as it uh, transitions over the next few years, and I think it's going to be uh, fun to watch. And uh, I hope fans look at it as a historic moment uh, in the history of uh, these organizations and uh, really relish the opportunity to be able to be a part of this uh, in the coming years. So that's that's my additional two cents there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not only not only is it historic, but I mean – as if the Penske name wasn't already famous and big enough in itself. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, now for generations to come, I, I think that, you know, you know, the Penske name will now be connected directly to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and, you know, the IndyCar series. And, and that's just incredibly exciting. You're right. This is This kind of news only comes around once every year. 20 to 30 years potentially if not more than that this is it's a big deal um but what's so exciting about this is i i I truly think that 
you know, not only does it directly impact the Speedway, not only does it directly impact the IndyCar series, but I, I think it has a direct impact on NASCAR. And I think it has a direct impact on, on motorsports in general. So this is a it's just a big deal. This is a huge deal. And, um, you know, in the next five to ten years, I think we're, we're going to start to see some things take shape um, that, uh, you know, really, I think uh, – I mean, honestly, I, I think this is going to mold United States motorsports for the for for a long time. You know what what happens now as a result of this acquisition, I think, has a long term impact on you know IndyCar and, and NASCAR and, and other firm, uh, other forms of motorsports. So this is it's a big deal. It's a huge deal, and uh, I think that you know as we've already said. You know, there isn't a better person in an organization to do this than Roger Penske. So um, it's, it's incredibly exciting news, to say the least. Um, you know, certainly looking forward to, uh, to seeing how things unfold in the coming years. Yes, indeed. Now, I do have one more comment uh, real quick, and then I'll get into our little spur here that we do coming up to the bottom of the hour here. Um there's been some talk and some questions from some of the media asking about uh, the question of um, uh, conflict of interest with regard to Roger Penske. I can't think of a person with more integrity than Roger Penske. And, and from a fan perspective and knowing uh, that he has such a high integrity, I, I can't imagine that that's going to be an issue. And uh, I, I think we can trust Roger Pinsky, just given his track record, uh, that uh, that's not going to be uh, a point of concern for race fans moving forward. Uh, now, I do want to get your thoughts about that, Andy. But uh, at, before we do that, I do, do want to let fans know that we're coming up on the bottom of the hour here. And that means that we will go off the air at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. However... Uh, what we do is we continue recording the rest of our conversation, and that part of the conversation is available on our podcast. Uh, and when we go off the air here tonight, I will post that link on uh, Twitter so that fans know that the podcast is available. Now, if that podcast is available via all of the links that we've already posted, including the player that we have available at fanforacing.com. And if you've listened up to this point of the show, all you have to do is fast forward up to the two-hour mark, and then you can listen to the rest of the conversation on that podcast. If you're listening on the podcast, it's going to be pretty seamless, uh, and you'll be able to listen straight through. But uh, uh, we do want to make sure that our live listeners get a chance to hear the rest of that conversation as well. So, Andy, uh, let's hear your thoughts about uh, the integrity question. Yeah, I don't see an issue with this, honestly. Um, if you look at, think about, you know, International Speedway Corporation, which is essentially NASCAR, you know, who's owned, you know, half the tracks on the circuit um, throughout the years. I mean, it's kind of the same scenario. I mean, uh, you can see why people would think this, but you're right. I, th I don't think there's anybody that has more integrity than Roger Penske and his organization, and certainly um, – you know, I don't see an issue with him owning the IndyCar series and owning teams within the series. Um, he mentioned earlier today that, you know, he'd, he'd probably stop, you know, 
strategizing on the pit box, which is essentially the role of the crew chief in NASCAR. Um, that's the most disappointing part. I love seeing him down there and hearing him on the radio. In fact, uh, I think he still does it for his IMSA teams. Uh, I did the Rolex a couple of years ago, and you know he was on the he was on the radio even at how old is he? Eighty-one or two years old? He's still you know on the radio and you know calling the shots for his teams, which is you know and that's the best part about this. Roger Penske's a racer. He just loves it, you know, through and through. This is what he does. And um, it means a lot to him. And that further tells me that, um, you know, as a diehard racer, you know, and he, he's going to have the integrity of the sport in mind and, and, and the integrity of his organization in mind. Um, I, I don't see an issue with this at all, really. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I can see where people are coming from, but um, I think, honestly, it's going to be healthy for him ultimately to be the owner of all this and that's and that's what's most important. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh I agree. I don't think we've got anything to worry about there. So uh let's uh go ahead and get into our next hot topic, uh Andy. Uh I've got a list here. Uh another uh bit of news that came out today was that Kyle Bush has uh signed on to um, race the Rolex 24 next year at Daytona. So that's going to be another crossover. Uh, The Rolex, of course, is also under the NASCAR umbrella. So uh, really cool to see that crossover promotion. Yeah, this is is awesome. Um, You know, I, you know, like I said a few moments ago, I've been to this race and it's really, it's a really cool race. Excuse me. Um, you know, and it's uh, it, it it showcases the talent of not just the sports car series, but also you tend to see a lot of IndyCar series drivers. Uh, we've seen Formula One drivers uh, and NASCAR drivers. You, you see, you know, high talent level drivers from all different forms of motorsports that descend upon this 24-hour race every January, and. Um, it's exciting, certainly, to see that uh, Kyle Busch is going to do this race. He's not the first. There's been, you know, several NASCAR drivers in the past that have that have gone into, you know, this Rolex 24. But it's cool to see Kyle do this. I think it's going to generate some interest, certainly, from the NASCAR side of things. And uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch. It's a great race. It's a great event. And, you know, the best part about all this is we go through this um, – you know, the doldrums known as the off season and the Rolex is kind of what kicks things off to get us out of that. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, uh, if you're looking for a reason to get back into racing, um, you know, late January, uh, the Rolex 24 will, will get you going. So I highly recommend it. It's a great event and uh, certainly exciting to see a big name NASCAR driver uh, partake of that. Absolutely. I think it makes it a little more interesting for our NASCAR fans to know that there's a NASCAR driver taking part in the Rolex 24. Uh, But you're right. Uh, You know, after the off-season, fans are hungry for racing, and that Rolex 24 is a great way to kick off the new year uh, uh, when it takes place. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to watch this year. And you're right, he's not the first driver to do it. But uh, I think it's going to be 
uh, fun to watch him do it in 2020. And uh, one of the questions I think was asked, uh, uh, I didn't really get a chance to hear the answer. Maybe you did, uh, Andy, but one of the questions was asked of Kyle Busch uh, of what it would be like because he's going to be in one of the lower-tier cars. Uh, it'll be a Lexus, but it's one of the lower-tier uh, uh series that run the Rolex 24 and uh, uh, a lot of people some of the folks were asking him uh, what it might feel like for him to be uh, in less than the best equipment in the Rolex 24 Um, and uh, I'm curious to know what he said did you happen to catch his response to that I didn't hear it you know but, but he's in the GT class um, you know, and, and it's kind of like a, you know, as as you well know, it's a race within the race. You know, the prototype cars, yeah. they're they're the ones that will win the overall Rolex 24, but the GT cars can can win it within their own division. So, um, you know, Kyle Busch has a has a great chance to, to still win the Rolex 24 uh, within his own GT class division. So I I didn't hear his comments. You know, but certainly, um, you know, it'll be fun to watch him. It'll it'll generate interest, and and I think that um, you know certainly has a has a great chance to still go out there and win within his division. So it'll be uh, fun to watch. Uh, I think the way that question was positioned was something to the effect of um, uh, how will it feel to be one of the cars that might be in the way of the top tier <laughs> uh, teams that are, are racing for. <laughs> <laughs> for that <laughs> for that win. So, yeah, it's kind of funny the way they they position that question. Uh so, you know, Kyle Busch sometimes gives some interesting response in return. So, I was kind of curious to hear what that was. I have to look for that later and and see if I can hear what his uh, answer was. Um but uh yeah, can't wait to see what happens there. And speaking of Kyle Bush, I just want to mention another hot topic there if you'll indulge me. That's the word I was looking for later or earlier. Um Kyle Bush also mentioned that uh you know, he's done with the Xfinity series with 100 wins. Uh he really has more interest in running the truck series at this point. Uh and I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Yeah, certainly. Um, this is this is something I think he's talked about for you know a year or two. Um, you know, and he's within reach of that 100 wins. I'm not exactly sure where he's at now. He's in the mid to upper 90s. But um, you know, I think you know, as a fan of racing in general, you know, not necessarily you know a Kyle Busch fan, but as a fan of racing in general, it's fun to see people achieve big milestones. And it would be cool to see him achieve win number 100 in the Xfinity Series. He's, you know, by and large, way ahead of anybody else that's ever raced an Xfinity Series car. So it's going to be, you know, I'm I'm honestly deep down pulling for him to get to that point. I'm not sure where he's at right now, but he could, I think, achieve it next year. Um, you know, so it'll be it'll be fun to see him to to get to that point, and. Um, you know, the, as far as the truck series races go, I mean, he's kind of already proven himself there. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure why he's, uh, you know, wanting to run that series. But 
you know, that being said, I think he obviously contributes a lot to his own team. He can help make that team better. He can help um, make sure that the equipment that's provided to his young development drivers is adequate. Um, you know, and we've seen that team be off a little bit this year, not necessarily Kyle or the 51 team, but his full-time drivers haven't quite lived up to the expectations of Kyle Busch Motorsports. So maybe by him being more involved in, in that team and running more races uh, will help the uh, development of that team moving forward. So, um, you know, so I think that's a good thing. And I certainly um, think that him reaching win number 100, which he will, um, is going to be a, a fun thing to watch for the Xfinity Series as well. Absolutely. We're watching, again, history in the making with Kyle Busch. Uh, Love him or hate him, he's making history within the NASCAR ranks. And uh, just to give you some idea of his uh, Xfinity Series stats, uh, he is at 96 victories out of 352 starts in the Xfinity Series. So four more races, uh, race wins, will bring him to that 100-win mark. Uh, In addition, he has 216 top five finishes, 254 uh, top ten finishes, and 67 poles, uh, which is incredible. Uh, so 96 wins. He's just four wins away from hitting that 100 mark in the Xfinity Series, Jay. Or, I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> yeah, which he'll, he'll get there, and I think it probably will happen next year depending on uh, the number of races he runs and certainly the number of races he wins, uh, but he'll get there, you know, whether it's next year or the year after, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think for me, the big part is, will he actually stop racing in the Xfinity series when he hits win number 100? Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's because he seemingly really enjoys Xfinity series racing and truck series racing, um, so I think that's my biggest question, certainly moving forward. But, uh, you know, as a fan of, of, of motorsports, it will be fun to see him hit that milestone of 100. And I think he'll do that easily in the next year or two. Yes, indeed. What What's also interesting as I look at his NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series stats, he's got 150 starts in that series 56 wins, so uh, more than a third of uh, the races that he's entered, he's won. Uh, 98 uh, top fives, 119 top tens, and 22 poles. So his stats are even more impressive when you look at the truck series. And uh, uh, I I, I really can't wait to see him hit that 100 mark because I think he will do it in the truck series as well. Uh, it's going to take him a little more time because of the fact that they limit the number of times that he can race uh, in a season. Uh, But uh, I I think his goal is to be at 100 wins in all three series. Uh, In the Cup Series, he's at 55 victories out of 532 starts, 198 top five finishes, 294, um, more than half. Uh, of his finishes or top 10 finishes in the Cup Series and 31 polls. Um, again, some incredible stats for Kyle Busch. And, uh, again, whether you love him or hate him, uh, he's making history within the NASCAR ranks in all three of these series. And uh, I dare say he's probably going to end up 
being one of the greatest drivers we'll ever witness in the series. Andy? Yeah, no, um, no, you're right. You know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, <clears throat> you know, what he's able to do. Um, but I, I think Kyle will get there, and that'll be, you know, yet another historic moment, you know, in in, uh, in NASCAR. So it's going to be fun to watch for sure. But, uh, you know, like like I was saying, yes. I, I think my, my big question is, will he really stop racing in the Xfinity Series when he hits 100? <laughs> because when you hit 100, Hard to now believe. you go when you hit 100, now you get to go for 200, right? So <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay, any other hot topics you want to make sure we touch on tonight? Well, I'm not sure, you know, if, if you or Jay had, had touched on this one recently, but um, the, the the alliance um, with GoFast Racing, with Stuart Haas Racing, yeah. is that something you've already talked about or – we have, but I want to get your thoughts about that because I know you and I talked a little bit about that on Messenger today. Uh, so let's hear let's hear your thoughts, Andy, and I'm sure listeners well, want to hear what you have to say as well. I, I, I'm interested, you know, to see where this goes. Um, you know, I, I think this has a really good this is this is a really good opportunity for Gold Fast Racing uh, to elevate their program, and and I say this because you know they're going to receive. Stewart Haas Racing Cars and, and technical assistance in 2020, and this makes sense because with the the chassis implementation rule for 2020, um, each individual car number can only hold, I believe, it's 12 uh, chassis designated to that car number at any given time. And given the fact that the rule is currently unlimited, there's going to be a surplus of cars from this season that they can shift to that team moving forward. Uh, for next year. So, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of uh, assistance and a lot of cars that they can move to this team. And from what I read recently, this is a team that currently operates three to four year old uh, uh, front row motorsports cars. So this is a significant increase for this team uh, moving forward, especially given that they will have an alliance with Stuart Haas racing, um, what, what's truly interesting, I think, to me at this point is who will drive that car, um, you know, and I think that there's been a lot of speculation as to whether Cora LaJoy will, will rejoin that team or if this will be an opportunity to put uh, Cole Custer in the car, um, whether it's, you know, that car or potentially, you know, taking the 41 car with moving Soros to the 32, Um you know, a lot has to be figured out. Nothing's been announced yet, certainly, but I think that this would be a great opportunity. Um, you know, either way, whether it's the 32 or the 41, I think it's a great opportunity potentially to put Cole in the car. Uh, I, I think that Custer has beyond earned his, uh, you know, um, right to, to be in the cup car next year and uh, has certainly proven himself. You know, he, he's had a breakout year. He's won a ton of races. You know, he, he's in the Final Four, or, you know, close to being in the Final Four, I should say, for, for uh, this year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, to, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens, certainly. But um, hopefully, um, you know, we see we see Custer get an opportunity to drive a, a good Cup car next year. I think that's 
you know, something that he's earned and, and what would benefit the team long-term as well. Um, you know, you, you know, Stuart Haas Racing has a lot of veteran drivers when you look at Harvick and Boyer. Even Al Marola is a veteran driver. Uh, Suarez is still young. He He's only in his uh, third Cup Series season going into, you know, hopefully his fourth season uh, next year. But, uh, you know, the face of Stuart Haas Racing is going to change significantly, I, I think, over the next five years. And so he's going to try to invest in your future. And I certainly think that Cole Custer is the next one in line to to get in a uh, Stuart Haas Racing car. Um, you know, but, you know, if, if for whatever reason, you know, the team re-signs Daniel Suarez uh, to remain in the 41 car, at least – you know, for him to, to join Go Fast Racing in what, in my opinion, especially with heavy assistance, would be a fifth SHR car, would be really good experience, and, and, and uh, he would learn a lot, you know, potentially moving into, you know, that organization full-time uh, with Stuart Haas Racing in 2021. So um, I look at this as a really a really good thing for both Go Fast Racing and Stewart House Racing, to me, this is a similar alliance to what we've seen uh, in the past with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing in Furniture Row and also now Joe Gibbs Racing in Levine Family Racing, um, especially uh, for 2020, you know, given the heavy involvement with Christopher Bell, I think that team's going to receive significant uh, funding and, and technical support. And uh, I think that uh, depending on, on who gets in the 32 car next year, um, we could also see the same thing, you know, and if it winds up being Cole Custer, um, you, you can bet that there will be heavy involvement from SHR and, you know, you might as well call it a, a excuse me, a, a, a fifth SHR car. So um, I think it's a really good thing, you know, it's going to put go fast racing on the map and it's going to, you know, potentially allow Stuart Haas racing to develop its future talent down the road. Okay, yeah, I I I I hear everything you're saying and I think you're probably right. And I'm certainly praying and hoping that you're right uh that this is all going to work out well in the end. Uh Cole Custer is a very talented driver as you know. We've watched Cole Custer uh from his uh late model days in the Canon Pro Series and uh he's raced a few Arca Menard Series events. Um I I really think Cole Custer is a very very talented driver, and you're right. He's he's uh, one of the drivers that's certainly the future of Stuart Haas Racing, and uh, I think the Go Fast Alliance is uh, certainly uh, an opportunity uh, for Stuart Haas Racing to have an alliance with a team uh, that can help you know, give them a reciprocal relationship and not only helping Go Fast Racing but helping Stuart Haas uh, as an organization as well in developing to that next level. Um, and Daniel Suarez has done such a great job. He, he raced so well at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. We've seen him up there contending. Uh, there was a chance that he was going to make it into the playoffs uh, a little bit further down the road than what he did. Um, and uh, I, I just don't think it would be fair to take him out of that seat at this point. Um, <clears throat> at the same time, it's bittersweet for me to say that because I would really love to see Cole Custer go into a seat 
at Stewart Haas Racing and be able to contend uh, as part of that rookie season. Uh, but with the alliance uh, and the extension of Stewart Haas Racing uh, within the Go Fast Racing organization uh, and with heavy uh, support from Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, I think it will not only benefit that organization uh, and Cole Custer uh, to have a seat there, but it should also benefit Corey LaJoy, who's also looking to be a part of Go Fast Racing for next season. Uh, so that's got to be really good news for Corey LaJoy as well. Uh, and he's a very popular driver within the NASCAR ranks. So uh, I, I'm definitely keeping my eye on that alliance. Uh, I, I want it to be the very best thing for uh, Cole Custer. Uh, and, and you're right. you you got to keep in mind that that's probably a one-year, uh, two years at max deal for Cole, Cole Custer to be in that seat. Uh, and it won't be long before he'll probably be in a seat at SHR. But um, uh, I, I really – uh, want him uh, to be part of the Cup Series next season because I can't wait to watch Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, and Cole Custer go head-to-head for the Rookie of the Year honors in that series as well. I don't think we've had uh, that kind of Rookie of the Year competition uh, in a long, long time, and I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, and uh, uh, we need Cole Custer to be in a seat uh, next season, I just want him to be in the most competitive seat he can possibly be in uh, for that 2020 season. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, my my gut has reservations uh, about it, but at the same time, I want to see him in that seat. So we'll see how it plays out, Andy. Yeah, no, he, he absolutely deserves a cup seat next year. I think that, you know, that would be, you know, and I've been watching since 2001, that would be like the greatest rookie class ever. Um, you know, Reddick, Bell, and, and Custer, that, that would just be amazing to see that. So so I think if for any other reason, I, I, I sincerely hope that he's in a cup car next year. Um, the only other, you know, strong rookie season that comes to mind is uh, Johnson and, and Newman back in 02. Um, You know, I know there's been some other good ones, but this is, you know, to see the the big three in the Xfinity series move on and, and be cup rookies next year would just be fantastic. So I, I really hope that this comes to fruition. Um, you know, the other thing about goal fast racing is no one's really said if they're going to run one or two cars next year. Uh, so maybe that comes into play. <laughs> maybe, maybe that comes into play as well. Um, you know, quite possibly, but I certainly think that this alliance, uh, you know, between those two teams opens the door for, uh, you know, the ability to bring some other drivers into the Cup Series. And certainly, um, you know, if they if they do wind up making it two teams, you know, they could potentially retain Corey LaJoy, which I hope that they do. Um, but it would also allow them to bring Custer and, and potentially Briscoe up as well in the future. Uh, I, I also want to address another tweet that I saw earlier today uh, questioning Roger Penske being able to buy the IndyCar Series and Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IS, IMS Productions, but not to be able to afford to bring on a fourth car for Team Penske. Um, that was kind of one of my thoughts, too, a little bit earlier. But then as I really thought that through, 
uh, it, it becomes apparent as to why that's not probably going to happen uh, uh, unless there's something extraordinary uh, that's taking place behind the scenes. Uh, I, 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 um, uh, I understand Team Penske is a Ford organization, the same as Stuart Haas Racing, but uh, I think one thing that is important to point out here is that Cole Custer, uh, his father is an executive uh, with Haas Automation and uh, has very strong ties to the Stuart Haas Racing Organization. And so for him to go outside of their umbrella for any length of time, uh, I think would be a risk for that organization and not something that uh, uh, they really want to, that's not really a path that they really want to take with Cole Custer in particular. Uh, they want to keep him within that Stuart Haas uh, umbrella. And uh, uh, that's why I think Team Penske is kind of out of the question. And <clears throat> I don't think we should admonish uh, Roger Penske or Team Penske uh, for not taking Stuart Haas, uh, taking Cole Custer under their umbrella. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, really a uh, an appropriate path for uh, Cole Custer in particular. And keep in mind, you've got Austin Sendrick uh, within Team Penske, who is another driver that could very well move into that fourth slot at Team Penske. So <clears throat> we'll have to keep an eye on it. It's possible that Team uh, Austin Sendrick will uh, stay in the Xfinity Series another season, uh, but... Uh, it's also a possibility we might see him moving up as well and be a part of that uh, Fab Four <laughs> uh, rookie season. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, you know, and I was just about to say that when it comes to these NASCAR teams, typically they won't expand unless it's the right scenario. And certainly I think Austin Sindrick would be the next driver in line to, to join the Cup Series ranks. And it's fair to say that Kozlowski, Logano, and, and Blaney aren't going anywhere anytime soon, so the natural progression mm-hmm. would be for them to add a Cup car at some point for Cindric, um, but it would have to be under the right circumstances. And, and to speak to the point of, uh, you know, Joe Custer, um, he's been involved with, with um, the Haas team, going back to when it was Haas yeah. TNT Racing, um, back when it was just simply owned by Gene Haas in the early 2000s. So Joe Custer has been a part of that team since the beginning, um, you know, and, and I believe is, you know, heavily involved in, in today's rendition of Stuart Haas Racing. So I think that, um, you know, certainly there's heavy ties there for him to be, for Cole to be involved in that team uh, moving forward. And I think he will, like you know, like I said uh, when you look at Harvick, Boyer, and Al Marola, they're all veteran drivers um, that are in the uh, twilight stages of their careers. You're going to see significant changes with that team in the coming years, and I certainly think that Cole Custer is is the um, you know the face of that organization moving moving forward. Totally agreed. Now I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. There's a couple of other points that I'm just going to mention here because I've also got a spur I want to do at the end of the show. Uh, a couple of other news items we probably won't get the chance to talk about tonight. Kurt Busch signed a multi-year deal with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. Daniel Suarez, Tony Stewart says, is close, uh, getting closer to a deal at Stewart Haas Racing. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, but I also want to mention 
uh, throughout the show here, I've been kind of uh, back and forth on Twitter uh, with uh, one of our previous uh, guests on the show. You may recall we had the E-NASCAR Heat Pro League uh, driver uh, as well as uh, the PR guy, uh, Josh, uh, Jake Morris, and uh, Hot Rod, who is uh, Brandon Britton, on our show uh, last week, and uh, they have the Outlaw Racing Channel on YouTube, and I want to make sure that fans uh, take some time to follow that, because if you haven't followed the heat racing uh, that's taking place online, uh, this is a great team to follow. They won the championship for Stuart Haas Racing in the eNASCAR Heat Pro League Series, and uh, they're continuing to race. This Outlaw Racing um, uh, channel is their team for Stuart Haas Racing uh, and some racing that's going to be taking place tomorrow night. On Twitter earlier I said Saturday night. That race is actually tomorrow night. So I'm going to post that link after I get off the show here so that fans uh, know where to go on YouTube to watch that race. And if you haven't watched uh, this heat racing where they're behind uh, simulators, uh, console simulators, and racing other teams, uh, you'll want to check this out because it's it's really a lot of fun. It's still part of the Stuart Haas organization, and uh, 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 Hot Rod, who was on the show with us, uh, is part of the Slick and Hot Rod team that won the championship. And uh, uh, I, I think you'll have a lot of fun checking this out. So, again, that race will take place tomorrow night, Saturday, at 8 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, again, I'll post that link shortly after I post our podcast link uh, so that everybody can uh, check that out. So, Andy, <laughs> any any other thoughts that you want to put out there as uh, we prepare for our roundtable? I don't think so. No other uh, hot topics at this time. I think today was certainly a really big day, but... Uh... Certainly uh, can be followed on Twitter at ALASKI14 and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully being back on Thursday night. Yeah, we hope you are back. Uh, we always enjoy it when it's the three of us on our Hot Topic Sound Off segment on uh, on our radio show nights. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to having the team all together then if you're with us this Thursday. Uh, we will be back on air at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and I am working on trying to get a guest uh, for us uh, on uh, Monday, on Thursday night, especially since uh, we kind of struck out. I, <laughs> I had three opportunities for guest uh, appearances tonight and struck out on all three opportunities. Um, again, we'll try to reschedule Mason Mingus uh, to come on the show to talk about his victory in the All-American 400. Um, and I've got a couple of other fires uh, in the coals, or a couple of other coals in the fire here uh, for Monday night's show as well. Uh, I think we're we're looking at possibly having Dylan Lupton, who's going to race the truck series uh, in the last two events at uh, ISM Raceway, and uh, again at Homestead, Miami. So uh, looking forward to talking to him about that. That's with DGR Crossley. And uh, just stay tuned. We'll keep you informed uh, of any other uh, appearances that we have in the docs um, uh, moving forward. So uh, you can follow me, Fan for Racing site on Twitter, and we are Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else. 
And uh, if you didn't hear the entire show tonight, I encourage you to go to fanforracing.com. We have the player available there, and you can always hear uh, the podcast at any time uh, throughout uh, the week. So I hope you'll check out our show from tonight. And uh, Andy, thank you so much for stepping in as our co-host tonight. It was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed uh, having you as co-host tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I certainly really appreciate it. Had a had a great time tonight, and uh, you know, really looking forward to Thursday and uh, the uh, weekend of racing at ISM Raceway next weekend. Indeed. And uh, one last shout out to all of our listeners who tuned in for tonight's live broadcast as well as to our podcast listeners we appreciate each and every one of you and we hope you continue to tune in as we move forward all right andy uh i think that's uh we're ready to call it a wrap all right have a great night and uh as always thanks for listening and we'll see you thursday have a great night sharon good night everybody see you on the other side This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.